we are on air for this Thursday afternoon podcast, and we will be uh, uh, putting this out and available for everyone sometime on Thursday evening, so you everybody can watch for that. But joining me now for our podcast today is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, excited to be here. I know we got a full, full show today. Yes, we do. Let me go through our agenda real quick. In our first half hour, we're going to start with some short track news. And because we didn't do the show on Monday night, we're doing a review and preview show here today. So next, we're going to review the Arca West Series race at Irwindale Speedway. And afterward, we preview the Arkham Menard Series race that's taking place this weekend at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. So we'll include a brief update for the Arca East as well. In our next half hour, we're going to preview the Truck Series race that's taking place at Mid-Ohio. And then we'll talk about the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. Uh, we'll preview that um, NASCAR Xfinity Series race that is at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Afterward, we review the Xfinity Series race that took place at the Chicago Street Race last weekend. In our third half hour, we're going to review the NASCAR Cup Series race, also taking place at the Chicago Street Race last weekend. And then we preview the Cup Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Stay tuned because uh, when all of that's complete, we're going to have our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with the Fan for Racing crew. And I believe today we have uh, Mike Orzel as well as Brian Eberle coming on board with us, Jay. Well, that'll be interesting. Uh, you know, we, we all had some opinions going into the Chicago race. But, uh, sorry, Brian actually being here and doing the live blog uh, here on Fan for Racing be really interesting to get his take from it being live a witness to it there in Chicago. Absolutely. So we'll definitely talk to him about that. <clears throat> okay, let's go ahead and get started with the short track news. I'm going to start over at Racing America, one of the one of the three websites that we look at for news. And uh, the big headline here is Bubba Pollard is seeking his first Anderson win in the Rosebud 400. So uh, he's winless in nine previous starts at Anderson Speedway. But he's uh, hoping to change that uh, when they take to the track. I'm looking for a date here. Uh, Do you see the date, Jay? I didn't see a date in it. Well, you're looking for that, though. I will say this. It is amazing that there is a race or anything that Bubba Pollard hasn't won when it comes yeah. to the late model, super late model racing. Yeah, I don't know. It's really funny when they don't give us a uh, date on some of these races. But, yeah, definitely check it out. It's the Rosebud 400. Uh, the article went up today. And uh, it will be something to watch to see if Bubba Pollard can get that first win at Andrew Speedway. Uh, I'm assuming it's this weekend, but I could be wrong. We'll see if we can find that here throughout the show. Uh, Another headline there, though, from Racing America is SRX and Purdue University announced partnership. We've seen this with Liberty University on William Byron's car. But Purdue partnering up with SRX um, 
to introduce its new urban campus in Indianapolis. Okay. Wow, that's pretty cool um, to have that kind of a partnership together in uh, racing. I think that's going to be big. Also, there's some news and notes here for the Northwest uh, Super Late Model Series Desert Star 80 at the Tri-City Raceway at RMEC. Uh, the Desert Star 80 will be held on the lights at the tricky triangular-shaped half mile for the first time in 20 years. So that's going to be kind of a big news there as well. As well, uh, That race will take place uh, in West Richard, Washington on July the 8th. So um, de- definitely uh, a big uh, event taking place here and something for you to keep your eye out for this weekend. Well, and the next article uh, here on Racing America actually answers the question that Rebud, Redbud, sorry, 400 will be on July 15th, Saturday, July 15th. Um, we also oh, have good. former American Speed Association national champion Dave Watson. He'll attend that 50th anniversary ASA Racers reunion. Very good. Um, You mentioned the SRX earlier. Well, Austin Dillon and Ernie Francis Jr. are now added to the 2023 roster. So there's two names that fans should be well aware of and uh, something for them to look forward to there. Let's go on. Seeing more and more of that from all drivers and teams, uh, that's quite interesting to see Austin Dillon jumping in that. It is. It definitely is. And Ernie Francis Jr., he's a great uh, racer himself, was with Rev Racing for a while and uh, doing some own some of his own racing here uh, as he continues to move his uh, career forward. Uh, let's move over to Flow Racing real quick. The Tezos All-Stars at Ransom and Sharon Speedways. So uh, this is the one that has... Uh, Kyle Larson involved quite a bit. Uh, Those races will take place at the Empire State and the Buckeye State on Friday and Saturday, July 7th and 8th. So uh, uh, definitely uh, looking forward to a big uh, turnout there. Well, there's also a couple articles here that will be interesting to read. I know we can't go through all of it, but the history of the sprint car racing's biggest paydays. Uh, They just had one for $250,000. And now Eldora, with the sprint cars, also going to have that million-dollar payday. So it would be interesting to see the history of sprint cars and what their paydays have been. And real quick, there's also a Cars Tour event preview for the Pro Late Models roll into Wake County. Uh, so if you want to know more about that race, uh, you can head over to Flow Racing and read up about that. Keep in mind, Flow Racing a lot of times will have the, um, what is it I want to say, uh, the live uh, pro- streaming broadcast of a lot of these races, especially the Arkham Menard series. So uh, you definitely want to check that out. But let's uh, move over to um, Short Track Scene because there's a lot of articles there too. Jake Garcia survives to win, <coughs> excuse me, the Southern uh, supers at Nashville. So he was a big winner out there at Nashville Music City. And uh, you can read all about it over at Short Track Scene. 
he's another one that we're just going to see more and more of his name. Um, but then we also got Bobby McCarty as he was declared the Sobo 200 winner as Cavapo and Huffman were DQ'd. Two DQs in that one. Uh, unfortunate situation, but makes for some interesting conversation, articles, as well as championship runs. Mm, yes, indeed. And in the ASA, ASA Stars Series, uh, you know, Ty Majewski is going for a championship there as well as in the truck series. Uh, his intake was cleared after an additional inspection. Matt Weaver writes about all of that over at uh, Short Track Scene as well. But now we're going to have to head over to the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, we're going to review uh, the race that took place last weekend at Irwindale Speedway, Jay, and uh, that was the Napa Auto Parts Blue Def 150, a very emotional win for Trevor Huddleston. His dad, Tim Huddleston, owns and operates Irwindale Speedway. So Trevor has done a lot of racing at that track, and he was finally able to bring home a win in the Arkham Arts West Series at Irwindale. So very, very big day for the Huddlestons. Well, and you mentioned it, and uh, what surprised me here is he broke a three-year winless streak with his third career Arkham Menard Series West victory there Saturday night's Napa Auto Parts Blue Def 150 at Irwindale Speedway. Uh, Huddleston is the all-time winningest driver in late mile competition at Irwindale, and as Sharon mentioned, his father Tim is the track operator. Uh, Huddleston took the lead when the race leader, Sean Hingarani, made contact with the turn three wall with 63 laps remaining and led the rest of the way. His first win also came at Irwindale, but that was back in 2019. So uh, really good to see that uh, win for Trevor Huddleston. Another good run there was Eric Nascimento as he scored a career-best second-place finish. It was his first top five since he finished fifth at Colorado National Speedway back in 2021. Also, former Irwindale winner Tanner Wright finished third. That was his best finish of 2023. He finished fifth in the April race at Irwindale. And Todd Susan notched his first top five finish of 2023 coming home in fourth, and it was his 20th career top five finish. Robbie Keneally, he finished fifth in the Arkham Menard Series, uh, and that was his debut. So congratulations to him for a top five in his debut race. And the other Rife, Tyler Rife, scored his fourth top ten finish of the season, coming home in sixth. Then it was Jake Bowman scoring his uh, second top ten finish in three West Series starts. He finished seventh and has also finished seventh at Kern County Raceway Park in April. And picking up his second top ten result in 2023 was Nick Joanides, who finished eighth. He also finished tenth at Kern County. And Landon Lewis led twice for 60 laps, but he was hit with a pass-through penalty for jumping the race's only restart. That dropped him to the tail end of the lead lap. He ended up finishing ninth, and he does maintain the lead in the Arkham and Art Series West standings after his main competitor, Sean Hingarani, crashed out and finished 12th. 
And that caution for Hinderani's accident was the only one of the night slowing the race for just seven laps. Uh, the next Arca Menard Series West Series, that'll be the Shasta Arca 150 at Shasta Speedway coming up on Saturday, July 29th. And as Sharon mentioned this, that race will be streamed live, slow racing at 11 p.m. Eastern Time and 8.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Okay. So uh, really good finishes for those top ten drivers. Uh, if we go over to ARCA Racing, though, they've got the rest of the uh, uh, follow-up on that, of the the complete results for the Rondale Speedway. Uh, and let's go ahead. I'm, I'll start here. Let's see. We left off with Landon Lewis. Uh, well, Takuma Kota actually finished top ten as well uh, in the Rise Up Toyota but he was three laps down. So all the top nine finishers uh, were on the lead lap. The rest of these drivers finished laps down. All right, let's see. He picked up uh, no, Koga. There we go. Uh, 11th place was David Smith in the 05 machine, then Sean Hirani, who mentioned had an accident. Bradley Erickson, another one, had an early crash lap, 43. And Ethan Nascimento only finished 11 laps in the 14th position. And Kyle Kyle Keller was 15th, having completed only six laps. Okay. Yeah, some of these drivers had issues uh, early in the race that took them out of it. We mentioned it earlier that in the ARCA West Series, um, there wasn't a change at the top. Landon Lewis still holds the points lead there. But right behind him is Sean Hingarani. Uh, he's 14 points away. Bradley Erickson in 19th, 19 points back. Then it's Tanner Reif, 21 points back. Trevor Huddleston, that win put him in fifth place, and he is 26 points back. The rest of the top five include Tanner Reif, Todd Souza, Kyle Keller, Takuma Koga, and David Smith. All 10 of those drivers have completed all six races. So the next race that's coming up is their seventh race this season. And that's actually uh, not a huge points gap. Uh, I know it's, it seems like it was 14 points, but we've seen that again. Unfortunately for Landon Lewis mentioned his competition there also had a wreck. But it tightened up at least those top five as Trevor Huddleston picked up that victory. Yes, indeed. Uh, I know we're a little bit ahead of schedule here. Let's go ahead and do the Arkham Menard set uh, at um, Mid-Ohio, Jay. Uh, they'll be racing that Zinzer Smart Coat 150 at Mid-Ohio in Lexington, Ohio. This Friday, that's tomorrow. Uh, July the 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 6 p.m. They'll race a distance of 42 laps, uh, covering a distance of 94.8 miles or 150 kilometers. Uh, A lot to look forward to in this race. And this Zinser Smart Coat 150 at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course is the eighth of 20 races on the 2023 Arkham Menard Series schedule and the first of two road courses on the calendar as well. 
The Arkham Menard Series has raced at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course three previous times. The first was in 1965. That race was won by Ohioan. Ohioan? <laughs> How do you say that, Jay? Ohioan? Ohio, uh, Ohio-in. Yeah, there I think you it go. still has the O in it. Uh, Jack Bowser, uh was the winner. And uh, the second race in 2021 was won by the eventual series champion, Ty Gibbs. Last year's race, that was won by Taylor Gray. Well, you can expect that to change this year as Jesse Love enters the Zinser Smart Coat 150 with a tremendous 40-point advantage over Frankie Munoz in the Arkham and Art Series championship standings. Love has won four of the last five races with victories at Talladega Super Speedway, Kansas Speedway, Charlotte Motor Speedway, and Elko Speedway. The Hollywood superstar turned racer Frankie Munoz will make his first road course start with the Arkham and Art Series, but he'll do it at a track at which he has previously raced. He made several appearances at Mid-Ohio in open-wheel cars in 2007 and 8. So that could give him a little bit of a competitive edge this weekend. We'll see. Well, an interesting edge will be to whoever's done the wet racing as the 2022 race at Mid-Ohio started under wet conditions and then finished under dry conditions. Now, should conditions necessitate them, the teams will have two sets of wet weather general tires available. Okay. Also, the Zinser Smart Coat 150 will be round two of the 2023 CGS Imaging Four Crown Championship. That's a series within the overall Arkham Menard series, and it includes races on super speedways, paved short tracks, dirt tracks, and road courses, and celebrates the series' diversity. Round one happened at Elko Speedway. That race was won by Jesse Love. So this will be round two, Jay. And that's always interesting to watch, to see that diversity in that series of championship within the championship. And the Zinzer Smart Coat 150, it'll be the 28th road course race in Arca Menard Series history. Other road course races have been contested at Meadowdale International Raceway, 1958, 60, and 64. Virginia International Raceway, 1962. The Mid-Ohio Sports Car Race in 1965. St. Louis International Raceway in 1986. Heartland Park, Topeka in 1991 and 92. The Streets of Des Moines, Iowa in 94. Watkins Glen was in 2001 and then 21 and 22. New Jersey Motorsports Park, that was from 2008 to 2016. Palm Beach International Raceway in 2010. Uh, Road America in 2012 and 17. And then the road course at Daytona International Raceway in 2020. 24 different drivers have won the previous 27 Arkham Art Series road races. The only driver to win more than one was Andrew Ranger, who won four times at New Jersey Motorsports Park from 2011 through 2014. There's a name I hadn't heard in a while. Now, <laughs> other uh, Arkham Menard Series road course winners chronologically include NASCAR Hall of Famer Fred Lorenzen at Meadowdale, Nelson Stacy also at Meadow, Meadowdale, 
Curtis Turner at VIR, Elmer Musgrave at Meadowdale, Jack Bosher at Mid-Ohio, Bob Schock at St. Louis International, Ken Schrader and Daryl Waltrip had ones at Heartland Park, Scott Legacy at Des Moines, John Finger at Watkins Glen, Justin Auger and Patrick Long at NJMP, and it was Justin Marks in the rain at Palm Beach, Casey Roderick and Andrew Ranger at New Jersey um, Motorsports Park. Chris Busher was uh, the winner at Road America. Kyle Weatherman, Parker Kligerman at NJMP. And Austin Terrio at Road America. Michael Self was the winner at the Daytona Road Course. And then Ty Gibbs at Mid-Ohio. We also got Corey Heim at Watkins Glen, as well as then Terry Gray at Mid-Ohio and Brandon Jones at Watkins Glen. There's another whole list of names. Man, memory. It sure is. <laughs> There will be a five-minute break at or around lap 21 for teams to change tires, add fuels, add fuel, and to make adjustments and repairs. Tire changers at the break will be the only time teams can change to a similar tread pattern. Now, slicks to slicks or wets to wets. Teams are permitted to go from slicks to wets and from wets to slicks at any time outside of the break under green flag or caution conditions. Should the race need to be extended into overtime, there will be one attempt at a one-lap green and white together finish. Once the field has taken the green and white flags together in overtime, the next flag, the checkered or caution, ends the race. So uh, definitely uh, something to be aware of as we go into this event. Uh, I do want to take a look at the entry list for Friday's race uh, at Mid-Ohio Sports Car because there's some uh, different names on this list that we want to make sure that we point out to everybody. Uh, some of these drivers are doing double duty. They're racing both the Truck Series and the Arkham Menard Series. Do you want to start at the bottom, Jay? All right, uh, the one or the seventy-five that'll be Bob Shock out of Lombard, Illinois. Say that again. One seventy-five. Oh, I'm sorry, one seventy-five of Bob Shock cell phone team the Chevrolet, sponsored by Engineer Components, going to have Matt Wolper as his crew chief. Dan Lowers will be on top of the pit box for the Wayne Peterson number zero six. For Tim Richmond, also out of Illinois, uh, he he comes from Ottawa, Illinois. He'll be driving the Circle Track Warehouse Toyota this weekend. And Alex Club uh, with his team, and he's going to crew chief for the number three Ford. He's bringing a driver all the way from Brazelton, Georgia, and Casey Carden, and have Bill Speed Shop on the side of it. Mike Schroof will be the crew chief for the Hillenburg Chevrolet, the number 66, driven by John Garrett out of Athens, Texas. He'll have venture food stores uh, along the side of his Chevrolet. A couple of names we've heard before. Shigi Hattori going to have the number 61 Toyota on track with Tyler Ankrum out of San Bernardino, California, uh, behind the wheel. And John Leonard will be calling the shots for that Lena sponsored machine. Okay. 
And in the number 55 for Venturini Motorsports is Dean Thompson hailing from Anaheim, California. He'll have Thompson Pipe Group as his uh, sponsor, and Caden Lapovich will be his crew chief. Billy Venturini uh, will be there as well. And as usual, Brad Smith has his number 48, Capriya Ford, entered in. Comes out of Shelby Township, Michigan, and he's bringing along Jeff Smith to help him out. Tony Cassatino will be on top of the pit box uh, for his own uh, his uh, number 45 that he'll be driving. He hails from Mansfield, Ohio, and he's driving the Tamayo Constantino Racing Ford. Uh, Enrique Tamayo listed as the owner. Coming out of Martinsburg, West Virginia, it only makes sense to have West Virginia Department of Tourism on the side of the number 32, Kevin Sawinski Ford. Driver, we know him here on Fan for Racing, Christian Rose, and Ryan London listed as his crew chief. Mark Rett will be on top of the pit box for the number 30 Ford, driven by Frankie Munoz from Scottsdale, Arizona. RJR is his sponsor. I believe that stands for Rettchen's Racing. I believe you are correct. And then Jones Utility is going to sponsor Connor Jones in the number 25. That will be a Venturini Toyota with Kevin Reed as the crew chief. Now, when a driver also comes out of Virginia in Fredericksburg. Shannon Rush will be on top of the, another Venturini-owned vehicle, and uh, Jesse Love will be behind the uh, wheel of that number 20, JBL Toyota. Jesse Love hails from Redwood City, California. Well, Love's competition here in the last several races, a tough competition has been the 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota of William Sawich. Comes out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota, with Starkey Sound Gear and Matt Ross in his ear. Okay, Manin Raman will be on top of the pit box for, again, another Venturini-owned Toyota, the number 15 driven by Sean Hingarani from Newport Beach, California. He'll have Gear Wrench as his sponsor. Well, I don't know if this is his main, uh, first main series start, but it's not very often we see Todd Souza going to be in the number 13 Ford with Michael Munoz as his crew chief, comes out of Aromas, California, as the Central Coast Cabinet Sponsorship. And there's a TBA here for the number 12, Hillenburg Ford. Uh, Dick Dohaney will be on top of the pit box. Uh, FastTrackRacing.com and UTI are the sponsors, but we don't know who the driver is yet. Well, the Hilberg Toyota number 11 is all filled up as Zach Heron is going to be the driver out of Glendale, California. Todd Turret, the crew chief, and Lambda Regal on the side. Tim Monroe will be uh, the, his own crew chief. Uh, as he'll be driving the number 10 for, for uh, Andy Hillenburg. He hails from Elmwood, Illinois, and will have Universal Tech- Technical Institute on the side of his Toyota. Velocity Racing has teamed up with Max Siegel on the number 6 Chevrolet. Driver from Loomis, California is going to be Jack Wood and Steve Plattenberger on top of the box. 
We also have Dale Quarterly behind the wheel of the number four Chevrolet for his uh, race team. Alex Quarterly uh, listed as owner and crew chief. They hail from Westfield, Massachusetts, and they'll have Van Dyke Recycling Solutions and Motul on the side of their Chevrolet. The other Max Civico Rev Racing uh, Chevrolet brings that international flavor. Andres Perez de Lara going to be in the number two Max Civico Incorporated sponsored. Comes from Mexico City, Mexico, and he's got Jamie Jones with him. And Wayne Peterson will be the crew chief for another uh, Peterson entry, the number zero, driven by A.J. Moyer, Florida. He'll have Rivers Edge Cottages in RV Park and jrcpays.com on the side of his Toyota. And that completes the entry list for the Arca Menard Series out at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Going to be a wild race out there at Mid-Ohio. Yeah, quick count there. I got 22 on that entry list. That's uh, yeah, that's a lot of drivers, and you've got some truck size drivers uh, that are on that entry list, which should make it interesting. Okay, we're going to move over to the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series because they're going to be racing out at Mid Ohio as well. Uh, they're racing the O'Reilly Auto Parts 150 at the Mid Ohio Sports Car Course. That that race will be on Saturday, July the 8th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Fox Sports 1 will carry the coverage starting at 12.30 p.m. along with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they'll be racing a distance of 151.28 miles, and that will be over 67 laps. Stage 1 and 2 are 20 laps apiece, with Stage 1 ending on lap 20, Stage 2 on lap 40, and the final stage ends on the last lap, 27 laps. Lap 67 will end that third stage. Well, it's been a while since we've talked about an Andretti in NASCAR, but we got Marco Andretti going to attempt to make a Craftsman Truck Series debut at Mid-Ohio. Marco Andretti will attempt to make his NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series debut this weekend. He'll be behind the wheel of the number seven Spire Motorsports Chevrolet. The Nazareth, Pennsylvania native made his NASCAR National Series debut in 2022 in the NASCAR Xfinity Series when he drove this number 26 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval, where he finished 26. Now, he's a third-generation NTT IndyCar Series racer who has over 250 IndyCar starts and two victories. He's also started 18 consecutive Indianapolis 500s. Additionally, additionally, Andretti is the reigning superstar racing experience at SRX Series champion, beating Ryan Newman and Bobby Labonte for that title. And he knows Mid-Ohio very well, having over a dozen IndyCar starts on that road course with a best finish of six. Okay, so... We'll look forward to seeing Marco Andretti on track. Also, another NTT IndyCar Series veteran, Connor Daly, is returning to Mid-Ohio. He's uh, going to come to the Truck Series at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course uh, this weekend to pilot the number 41 for Nice Motorsports, and that's a Chevrolet. In the IndyCar Series, Daly has eight starts, 
at Mid-Ohio. His best finish was sixth, and that came in 2016 with Dale Coyne racing. He had 22 laps in that race, and then 105 IndyCar starts. He has one podium finish, a runner-up finish at Bell Island, and one pole position that came at Iowa Speedway. The Indiana native who raced in the Daytona 500 this season also has two NASCAR Cup Series starts on road courses. He raced at Coda earlier this season and at Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval in 2022. Also, he, to his, in addition to his multiple Cup Series starts, Dale competed in the Xfinity Series race at Road America in 2018 and in a Craftsman Truck Series event. Uh, the NTT IndyCar Series veteran has two starts, both at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and between those two starts, Daly has a best finish of 18th. So uh, a couple of uh, great drivers for us to look forward to this weekend in the Truck Series. We're coming down to it for the Craftsman Truck Series playoffs. We've got six competitors locked in, and we got three racers to go in that regular season. And those six drivers locked into the 2023 Craftsman Truck Series playoffs by virtue of the wins. Zane Smith, who has ones at Daytona and Coda. Christian Eckes at Atlanta and Darlington. Carson Hosevar now with two at Texas and Nashville. Corey Heim got one at Martinsville. And Grant Enfinger has two coming at Kansas and Worldwide Technology Raceway. This is Ben Rhodes from Charlotte. Uh, two drivers uh, have built up a points cushion of 14 points or more in the playoff cutoff line following Nashville, and that's Thor Sport Racing Time Majeski, who's 86 points above the cut line, and Matt DiBenedetto at plus 14 of uh, Rackley War. With 10 points above the cutoff line and ranked ninth is the Craftsman Truck Series Playoff Outlook, Thor Sports Racing's Matt Crafton. Now, following behind the number 88 forward is Rev Racing's Nick Sanchez in the number two, and he's six points above the cutoff. So on the outside looking in, you got another 10 drivers sitting in that playoff cut line, or outside the playoff cut line, but still have those three races to earn their way into the Craftsman Truck Series playoffs. Halmar Friesen, Stuart Friesen in 11th is six points behind Sanchez. Tricon Garage's Tanner Gray, also six, six points uh, off that final playoff position. Then following Gray and Sanchez is Chase Purdy at minus 39. Jake Garcia, minus 63. Tyler Ankrum is 72 back. Rajah Karuth at 123 down. Daniel Dye, minus 126. Haley Deegan at minus 130. Taylor Gray at minus 134 and Colby Howard at minus 135. Clinch scenarios, uh, if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance into the playoffs, the clinch would be 111 points above the third winless driver in the standings. The same requirements so would hold true if the new win comes from Ty Majeski or Matt DiBenedetto. And Ty Majeski, the only one that can clinch uh, with help. And that's also true, Majeski being the only one to clinch with help, if the new winner is from Matt Crafton or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance in the playoffs. And they would have to be 111 points above the second winless driver. 
Uh, all the drivers I mentioned, um, plus a couple more eligible based on wins alone. The additional ones that I didn't mention yet, Brett Holmes, Dean Thompson, Lawless, Ant Lawless Allen, and Spencer Boyd. Okay. Now, there is a regular season title watch. Corey Heim right now leads the series point standings with three more races to go in their regular season. Tricon Garage's uh, Corey Heim continues to have a very strong year as he continues to hold the driver points lead for the truck series with just three races left in the regular season. He's a 20-year-old who's currently 16 points up on the reigning Craftsman Truck Series champion, Zane Smith. Now, Heim's points lead began after a very strong finish at North Wilkesboro, where he won Stage 1 and finished sixth overall. That gained him a total of 48 points to jump from third in the standings over Ty Majewski and Zane Smith. Now, the Georgia native has accumulated one win at Martinsville, five top fives, and ten top ten finishes. The driver of the number 11 Toyota cannot yet clinch the regular season championship since there's still 180 points and three wins available. Front Row Motorsports, Dane Smith, is 16 points back from the points leader, continues to stay close to the top spot. Although Zane, had, Zane Smith had a tough stretch from Darlington to Gateway, he's managed to bounce, bounce back at Nashville with that second-place finish. 24-year-old who took the regular season and postseason championship last year has accumulated two wins, five top five, and five top ten finishes so far this season. Well, not only are we watching the, the overall the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, but we got the Road Course Ringers Edition. In total, the Truck Series has run 31 road courses all time from 1995 to the present, which has produced 24 different winners, led by Joe Rutman and NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr. with three wins apiece. Our two road course winners in the Truck Series are active this weekend. Ben Rhodes, who mentioned the Daytona Road Course in 2021, and then Zane Smith, who won at Coda in 2022 and 23. In 2021, Rhodes became the third driver in Craftsman Truck Series history to win the first two races of the season after dominating the Daytona opener and the road course. The driver of the number 99 Thor Sport Racing Ford, Yo, has yet to win another road course, but finished in the top 10 three times. Last year, Rhodes was 23rd at Mid-Ohio. The 2022 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion, Zane Smith, has been particularly dominant on road courses. Smith became the first repeat NASCAR winner at COTA and made the front row motorsports team a perfect three for three in the truck series races on the famed road course after taking the reins from Todd Gilling. Although he's still seeking his first career Craftsman Truck Series win, driver of the number two Rev Racing Chevrolet, Nick Sanchez, he's been strong. The Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate finished seventh at Coda earlier this season. The 22-year-old will look to build off that momentum and claim his first victory this weekend. Uh, Sharon, I got one more. Are you going to move to the Xfinity Series? Yeah, I'm going to – I'm sorry, I was on mute. It's only the second time in series history that the Truck Series 
has raced at Mid-Ohio for the O'Reilly Auto Parts 150. It sits on 380 acres of land and is touted as the most competitive in the U.S., currently plays host to IMSA, NTT IndyCar, and now the Arkham Art Series and Craftsman Truck Series events. Uh, Classic Road Course has hosted eight Xfinity Series events up until last year when the Truck Series took their place. It's a 2.2-mile, 13-turn layout, and it will act as the last road course in the Truck Series schedule. Nestled inside the limits of Lexington, and the track is set directly between Cleveland and Columbus. The facility opened in 62, hosting a road course with two different configurations, a 2.4-mile 15-turn circuit or the 2.26-mile 13-turn layout, with the latter being what the Truck Series will run on this weekend. Uh, The inaugural Craftsman Truck Series race last year was won um, by Parker Kligerman driving the number 36 Henderson Motorsports Chevrolet. Uh, he led 56 of 67 laps and claimed his third win in his truck series career and his first on a road course. So now we're going to move over to the Xfinity Series. Uh, they are racing uh, at Atlanta this weekend. Uh, their next race is the Alsco Uniforms 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. That will take place Saturday, July the 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern. It will be televised on USA starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, along with PRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Uh, they'll race a distance of the 251.02 miles, or 163 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 40. Stage 2 ends on lap 80, so those are 40 laps each. And then the last lap will designate the end of the final stage. Well, we got Cole Custer, just to mention here, I believe we have it coming up in Hot Topics, three cup races this season. Now, he races for Stuart Haas Racing and ran full-time NASCAR Cup Series schedule last season. And he'll be making his return to the series this weekend with Rick Ware Racing behind the wheel of the number 51 Ford. He will also join the team later this season at New Hampshire and Pocono. And this is not the first time Custer has made some starts with the team, but his last stint with RWR was back in 2021. Okay, we're also on a postseason countdown in the Xfinity Series, uh, so we'll give you a playoff update with another win by Stuart Hawes Racing's Cole Custer this past weekend at the inaugural Chicago Street Race. Five five spots are still up for grabs for the Xfinity playoffs as the series heads to Atlanta for the second time this season. The following seven drivers have already secured their playoff spot. They include, and they did that by virtue of a win, John Hunter Nemechek, Austin Hill, Cole Custer, Justin Aldauer, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, and Jeb Burton. Currently in that eighth spot in the playoff outlook is Junior Motorsports' Josh Berry, who made it to the championship four round last season. He's posted seven top fives and 11 top tens this season. And earlier this season, he posted his seventh-place finish at Atlanta Motor Speedway in the last year's Summer Atlanta race, finished runner-up. Now, Barry is currently plus 81 points over the playoff cut line. Just three points behind Barry is his uh, junior motorsports teammate, Sam Mayer. 
He made his first playoff appearance last year and ultimately finished seventh in the standings. Mayer is plus 45 points above the playoff cut line. Then there's Richard Childress Racing's Sheldon Creed. He takes up that 10th spot with 445 points. That's 193 points behind the current point leader, John Hunter Nemechek, and 42 points above the postseason cutoff. The final two spots in the playoff outlook are occupied by Daniel Hemrick. He's up 33 points, and Riley Herbst, who's up 26 points. Right now, the cut line is Parker Kligerman, who is 26 points behind Herbst. So uh, they'll uh, decide some more of that this weekend. Well, they fall under that category of wins needed. You've got three drivers to really watch at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Now, Austin Hill, Justin Algar, and Ty Gibbs will be sure to race the competition hard for their chance to add another Atlanta trophy to their respective trophy cases. But three drivers in the field that are sure to give them a run for their money mentioned Riley Herbst, Daniel Hemrick, and Justin Haley. Stuart Haas Racing's Riley Herbst had given the Atlanta track a go six times in the Xfinity Series, posted two top fives and four top tens. Fans can expect the 24-year-old to be on his A-game this weekend as he's still looking to post his first-ever Xfinity Series win. With the success he's had on the 1.54-mile Atlanta track, he could add his name to that winner's list and secure his spot into the 2023 playoffs. College Racing's Daniel Hemrick has also put up some good stats at Atlanta Motor Speedway. In his eight starts, he's posted three top fives and five top tens. Hemrick is looking to post his first win of 2023. Earlier this season, he was a runner-up finish at Atlanta, missing the win by only a mere .085. That Cup Series regular Justin Haley is going to be doing double duty, driving the number 10 college racing Chevrolet this weekend for in the Allsco Uniforms 250 at Atlanta, track that has treated him well. He's finished 10th or better in all five of his Xfinity Series starts at the track. His most uh, recent Xfinity Series stint at AMS was earlier this season where he finished 10. And that'll put us on the race for the win, the three previous winners at Atlanta. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do it, Jay. Austin Hill clearly knows what it takes to be successful at Atlanta Motor Speedway, winning the last two races at the one55 five-four-mile track. He's the only driver entered this weekend in the Oscars Uniform 250. He made the trip. He that he has made a trip to Victory Lane. Joining him on the winners list at that track are Junior Motorsports Justin Algauer and Cup Series regular Ty Gibbs. Algauer, whose Atlanta win came in 2021, is returning to Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. He looks for redemption after falling victim to an accident earlier this season at the track. The veteran drivers make 15 starts there, posting one win in 21, three top fives and nine top tens. This season thus far, he's posted one win at Charlotte at nine top fives and 11 top tens. Gibbs will be getting behind the wheel of the number 19 JGR Toyota for his Xfinity Series start of the season. The 22 Xfinity Series champion, Gibbs snagged his victory at Atlanta Motor Speedway in his series debut at that track in 2022, just last year. 
and his four starts in the series this season, he's posted three top fives and three top tens. Now, I mentioned this will be round two at Atlanta Motor Speedway for the Xfinity Series. That after a historic weekend in the windy city of Chicago, NASCAR Series now headed back to Atlanta Motor Speedway to race under the lights for the Alsco Uniforms 250. There have been 34 NASCAR Xfinity Series races at AMS. It's produced 21 different race winners and 18 different pole winners. Seven of those races have been won from the pole or the first starting position, most recently by always a record holder, Kyle Busch in 2021. In the NASCAR Cup Series regular, Kevin Harvick holds just about every Xfinity Series record, though, at Atlanta, Georgia track. Most wins at five. Top five is 11. Top 10 is 13. Lead lap finishes a 13. Laps completed, 3,135. And then laps led at 973. Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill is the track's most recent winner. The Winston, Georgia native, actually has two wins at his home track, the summer of 22 and spring of 2023. If he pulls off another win this Saturday, he'll become just the second Xfinity Series driver in Atlanta Motor Speedway history to win three consecutive races, joining Harvick, who did it from 2014 through 16. Now, drivers will skip practice this weekend. They'll kick off the doubleheader weekend at the 1.54 mile Atlanta track. Qualifying will be Saturday, July 8th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern Time. That'll be on the USA Network and streamed on the NBC Sports app. Okay, we're also going to review the Chicago Street Race for the Xfinity Series. Uh, Cole Custer was declared the winner of the rain-shortened Chicago Xfinity Series race with drenching rain and standing water on the Chicago Street course. It forced NASCAR to declare Cole Custer as the winner of the Loop 121. The race was three laps short of halfway and five laps short of the finish of the second stage. But due to that sanding water and flooding a portion of the Chicago Street course, Cole Custer was declared the winner, uh, again, just a few laps shy of the distance the race reached. Uh, it made, the race made 25 laps on Saturday before it was postponed because of lightning. Custer led all 25 laps from the pole and has awarded seven playoff points for sweeping the stages. John Hunter Nemechek is credited with second place, which, were, which is where he ran the entire race. Dustin Allgauer finishes third. Brett Moffat scoring his first top five finish of the season in fourth, and Austin Hill rounds out the top five. Sammy Smith finished sixth, then it was Daniel Hemrick, Chandler Smith, Parker Kligerman, and Kaz Grallo completing the top ten. No lead changes among one driver uh, and three cautions for nine yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 52.660 miles per hour. So, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts about that top ten? Well, a lot of different stories. Just beginning with the one main one of them being on the Chicago Street course. Uh, that in and itself was a story, a huge story for the weekend. Uh, the racing itself, you just, <coughs> excuse me, saw regular contenders when it comes to road course racing here in the Xfinity Series. 
uh, Cole Custer, John Hunter Nemechek, Dustin Algar. Uh, Brett Moffitt was a little bit of a surprise. I know they did some different strategy, but then you had Austin Hill up there in the mix as well. We did see two rookies in the top 10. That's always encouraging, Sammy Smith and Chandler Smith. Parker Kligerman um, getting the ninth spot and Kaz Grala. Those are two that uh, I think are approaching. I know we mentioned Parker Kligerman battling for the 10th or 12th spot, sorry, in the final playoff spot. Uh, really needs to pick up a lot of points uh, to kind of secure himself or pick up a victory. And I think this might have been one of his best shots had they been able to finish the race. But Cole Custer looked strong. I mean, you can't deny that. And John Hunter Nemechek hung right there with him. I mean, uh, I don't know how far five, six car lengths off, off of him for most of the race. Absolutely. 35 of the cars finished all 25 laps of the race. One driver, Josh Williams, was still running, but he finished three laps down. Andre Castro had an accident, uh, taking him out of the race on lap 16. And Justin Marks, what a shame to see this happen. Uh, He had an engine failure just three laps into the race, taking him out of the race. So kind of disappointing that we didn't get to see the entire race for the Xfinity Series. But I thought... um, for the most part, they did. They were the first ones out on the track for that inaugural uh, Chicago Street Course race, and I thought that they did a very respectable job. Nobody did anything crazy. Everybody was being respectful and kind of watching their P's and Q's, if you will, and just making sure um, that they were learning uh, what that track was all about. Well, one that mentioned it, and I think he finished just outside, yeah, 11th place, uh, Sheldon Creed. Uh, Really went for it on the pole. He got second quick time, but also tore up his primary car, started from the back, even in that half of the race and shortened race, um, had worked his way back up to 11th. I really think he might have been able to be in the mix with Cole Custer, as we saw back out in uh, Portland, Oregon, um, had it come down to it. But what a recovery to even get the 11th place finish there for that RCR team. Absolutely. He seemed to be the only one that was really passing cars and moving his position forward throughout that race. Uh, so, yeah, very strong kudos there for Sheldon Creek. Let's make sure we cover the driver's points. All right. Oh, it didn't load those. Give me one second. It's- and only loaded half the page. Do you have it up, Sharon? Yeah, I have it up. You want me to cover it? Yeah, if you want to start it there. Okay. John Hunter Nemechek continues to lead the series point standings in the Xfinity Series after the Loop 121. He's in first place at 638 points, just 16 points ahead of Austin Hill, who sits in second. Austin has the most playoff points with his three wins and three stage wins, uh, but it's not enough to put him up in that top spot, top spot points-wise. Cole Custer is in third, has the two wins along with John Hunter Nemechek uh, and 15 playoff points. Then it's Justin Algauer, uh with one race win along with Chandler Smith with one race win rounding out that top five. The next five drivers are Josh Berry, uh, these next four drivers do not yet have a win this season. They include Josh Berry, Sam Mayer, Sheldon Creed, and Daniel Hemrick. Sammy Smith sits in the 10th spot 
along with Chandler Smith. They're both rookies this season and both in the top ten. Chandler Smith in fifth and Sammy Smith in tenth place with his one-race win. He's already secured his spot into the playoffs. Behind him are Riley Herbst in 11th uh, and Parker Kligerman in 12th. They do not have race wins yet, but they are on top of the cut line uh, almost. Let me say Riley's on top of that cut line, uh, but uh, Parker Kligerman is actually below because Jeb Burton sits in 13th place. He has that race win that bounces him on top of the cut line and puts Parker Kligerman below that line. Brett Moffitt, what? Brandon Jones, Ryan Sieg, Parker Retzlaff, Kaz Grella, and Jeremy Clements, along with Anthony Alfredo, complete the top 20 drivers. One thing I look at there, you mentioned the playoff points. Uh, and the ones with more than one victory, Cole Custer, Austin Hill, and John Hunter Nemechek, Austin Hill having three, the other two having two, they've kind of separated themselves, especially when you look at the playoff points. Austin Hill, 18, John Hunter Nemechek, I'm sorry, Cole Custer with 15, and then John Hunter Nemechek with 14. Plus those top three, really the top two it looks like is going to battle for the regular season championship, which also brings some additional playoff uh, bonus points. So they're really trying to separate themselves. We've seen this before, the big three and me uh, type scenario. I think you're kind of looking at that right now for the Xfinity Series. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's going to be pretty interesting to see uh, how that continues uh, to play out. Uh, let me just say, Cole Custer, who won that race, it was his 12th victory in 126 Xfinity Series race and his second victory and 11th top finish uh, this season, top 10 finish this season. Uh, his first victory and first top ten finish in just the one race uh, that we've had at the Chicago Street Race. John Hunter Nemechek posted his first top ten finish in that one race, his 13th top ten finish of the year. Justin Algauer, uh also his first top ten finish in the one race. Sammy Smith, we mentioned it, he's the highest finishing rookie of the race. So anything else you want to make sure we mention there? Okay. Not specifically right now. I know we're going to cover this in hot topics from a lot of different angles, I'm sure. So we'll get more in-depth on that uh, as we go into hot topics later. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the review of the Grant Park 220 that took place downtown Chicago on the Chicago Street Course. Uh, that was a thrilling race to run, watch. I thought the Cup Series drivers were much more aggressive on the track, even though it was raining. But it was New Zealander Shane Van Gisbergen who wins the Chicago Street Race in his NASCAR debut. Um, when the Grant Park 220 turned topsy-turvy at the 49-lap mark, the change didn't slow. The New Zealander Shane Van Gisbergen, the first driver to win a race in his first NASCAR Cup Series start since Johnny Rutherford accomplished that feat 60 years ago. He was uh, driving the number 91 Chevrolet for Trackhouse Racing's Project 91 program, and the three-time Supercars champion charged from eighth place on lap 61 restart 
to the front of the field and won the series' first-ever street race on the Chicago Street Course in overtime. It was exciting to watch. Three-time Supercars champion uh, Shane Van Gisbergen won uh, that street course race uh, in the debut for Trackhouse Racing's Project 91, in his debut. Uh, Justin Haley finished second, followed by Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, Austin Sindrick, Michael McDowell, Joey Logano, Ty Gibbs, and Chris Busher. Uh, there was some back-and-forth racing there between the top three, and uh, especially the top two, and it was fun to watch. Um, it's been since 1963 we've had a Cup Series driver win their debut. He took the lead with five laps remaining and held the lead through the late caution and an overtime attempt. The race was shortened to 75 laps from the scheduled 100 because of impending darkness. <coughs> they did run 78 laps because of the overtime. <coughs> Excuse me. The street course does not have lights bright enough for the team or the television to race at night. The race started 90 minutes later than the scheduled time because of the heavy rains throughout the afternoon. 33-year-old Ben Gisbergen drives a Chevrolet Camaro in Supercars Championship <clears throat> for a Triple A race engineering winning championships in 2016, 21, and 22. He owned 78 wins, 47 pole positions, making him the fourth most successful driver in series history. He won the Bathurst 1000 in 2020 and again in 2022. <clears throat> the pole winner, Denny Hamlin, led the lost the lead on the first lap when he hit the tire barrier on the first second turn, and he was never in serious contention. He ended up finishing 11th. Stage 1 and 2 were both won by Christopher Bell. There were seven lead changes among five drivers, nine cautions for 21 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 60.281 miles per hour. Uh, there's a lot of storylines in this race. I know we're going to talk about some of that uh, in the Hot Topic segment, uh, but what are your thoughts about those top tens? Well, there again, the, the historic of the Chicago Street race, the fact that they were in the rain, you, you mentioned Denny Hamlin, the pole sitter, actually having a problem early on and never being able to fully recover. This change in laps, the amount of laps, and I know that it should be one of our hot topics, um, NASCAR making that call after some of the teams had pitted, really mixed it up. But overall, I thought it was a good race for a street course. I know we don't didn't weren't able to get great side by side racing action um, like we might on a regular road course because you have room and runoff to the sides and whatnot. So I thought overall it was a good race. Um, I personally, and I've watched the Australian uh, what is it V8 Super Series. I've watched Shane Van Gisbergen uh, drive before, so I knew what kind of driver he was. They talked about his stats coming into it. There's a reason he was one listed for that Project 91, um, and he showed it. Uh, he might not have had the most dominant car all day, but he showed his talent. The big story, he I think, the part of it was, what's that? I said he certainly did. I thought you were done. I didn't realize you were going on. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was just going to go to Justin Haley. I know kind of the, the shuffle up where he ended up up front, but he actually held his own. He's a talented driver as well. So a uh, great finish there for Justin Haley. Could have been a huge storyline had he picked up that victory, as well as Chase Elliott, who needs that victory um, to lock in so he doesn't have to worry about points. So there was a lot going on there, even in those top three, of how that could have changed or seriously affected the playoffs. Absolutely. It could have been a, a surprise winner there. And uh, I thought it was a, a thrilling race to watch. I was skeptical of the Chicago Street races. I was pleasantly surprised and very happy. Uh, Martin Truex, Jr., uh, Ryan Blaney, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. all finished the race running, but they finished one lap down. Uh, the other 31 drivers all finished all 70, 78 laps. Uh, a couple drivers had issues. Ty Dillon had a suspension issue, taking him out of the race on lap 67. Austin Dillon had an accident. He was out on lap 62. And Alex Bowman, unfortunately, had an accident that took him out of the event on lap 40. Um, the margin of victory, by the way, was 1.259 thousandths of a second. So uh, pretty Pretty exciting finish, I really I really thought. And I felt for Chris uh, Bell, Christopher Bell, I know we're going to talk about it in Hot Topics, but, uh, yeah, he got caught off guard with their strategy when they changed the number of laps uh, for this race. But uh, Van Gisbergen was caught up in that, too, and uh, he was able to come from, like, 18th place uh, because of that change uh, and pit strategy and uh, win the race. So I, I think maybe Christopher Bell uh, could have done that too as it had his head been in that place. Well, I'll tell you what, I heard some of the uh, audio with that of Christopher Bell, and I don't even know if Sirius XM was supposed to play that because there were some uh, very vivid conversations and words used there. But yeah. I understand their frustration, but I also heard uh, Jeremy Burnett for uh, Kyle Busch. They all were aware that that might get called. So, you know, yeah. they just they took their chance. Um, I hate that it played out that way, but as you mentioned, it, it did work for some, and Van Ginsburger uh, made it work in those latter parts. The one thing I was pretty impressed with overall, we only had one situation where a wreck piled up the entire field. Uh, I believe at one point they had seven cars that were involved in blockage, and that definitely uh, played a factor. There were some cars that were able to get to the inside and get by them, but we only had that happen once. All the other stuff was single car or you know one or two cars, and everybody else got through pretty clean. Overall, a really clean race. And I know uh, Mike's not here yet, but i got to give a shout-out to Noah Gregson. Uh, you talked about some of the drivers that had some issues and hit the tires. He hit the turn six uh, tires, I believe, uh, six times, um, if I'm not mistaken, and still managed to actually finish 25th. He wasn't even out of the race. So uh, rough day for Noah Gregson, but he kept grinding it out. Yeah, I was thinking they ought to name turn six, at, six after uh, Noah Gregson. He seemed to like that turn. Uh, he surely hit it a few times. Um, and uh, got his car caught up there and spent a little more time there than he wanted to. Uh, but, <clears throat> yeah, 
It was an interesting race. Uh, in all fairness, though, it was new to everybody, and uh, I think that uh, uh, everybody made the best of it. And I, I was real proud of the uh, Cup Series drivers uh, and really amazed by Shane Van Gisbergen. Uh, I thought he just did an amazing job. Uh, he, he raced cleanly. He said that the other drivers raced him with respect, and... Uh, Boy, he just made those passes look like they were so easy. I know they weren't, uh, but against two of the best road course races that we have, uh, with Shane, uh, with um, Chase Elliott and uh, Justin Haley, so I thought it was uh, great. I hope they do go back. I plan to be there if they're back there next year, and uh, we'll see what happens. But let's uh, talk about the points report here. All right, sliding over to the points. Uh, Martin Truex is your points leader at 591 points. William Byron, nine back. Ross Chastain, 18 back. And then Christopher Bell at 21 back. And Kyle Busch, minus 31. And those top five, I just wanted to hit real quick to start with. They're 30 races out. 60 uh, points, 53 points is uh, Denny Hamlin. But as we get down to it, these regular season playoff spots, um, how they're ranked is going to be real interesting. Mm-hmm. We look at the wins they've got. William Byron has the most playoff points along with Kyle Busch, who's in fifth. They got 17. The next is Kyle Larson, but he's all the way back in eighth. He's got 12 points. And then you go back to your points leader, Martin Truex. Now, he's been hot and on fire as of late. So we'll see how these next few races go leading in. But in between there, uh, let's see, where did I stop? Fifth and sixth, Danny Hamlin. Then you got Kevin Harvick, Kyle Larson, I mentioned, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, your top 10, 11th through 16th, Chris Buescher, Tyler Reddick, Brad Keselowski, Ricky Stenhouse, Bubba Wallace, and rookie Ty Gibbs. And I believe everybody with the win is inside that, yeah. Ty Gibbs is your cut line. Daniel Suarez behind him by six points. Uh, Michael McDowell only 10 points back. I know he was looking for that big run. A.J. Allmendinger, another one, he is 24 points back. So that cut line, real interesting. What we also got to worry about, Justin Haley just got a second-place finish. Alex Bowman, who's a previous winner, hasn't won yet. Chase Elliott, still below the cut line in 24th. Easily could get a victory, and a lot of people expect him to. So this could be really real interesting to watch here in these final races prior to the playoffs starting. Okay, I'm going to get right into it, Jay, because we've got a lot to cover here for the NASCAR Cup Series in just 20 minutes or less now. Uh, the Quaker State 400 available at Walmart will take place Sunday, July the 9th at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Time is 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, USA will start their coverage at 6.30 p.m. Eastern along with PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race a distance of 400.4 miles over 260 laps. Uh, first stage ends on lap 60, second stage on lap 160, and the final stage ends on lap 260. All right, we'll start with the NASCAR Hall of Famer, Richard Childress, as he's named the Grand Marshal for Atlanta Motor Speedway. He's a NASCAR Hall of Famer and legendary team owner. Uh, He'll give the command to fire engines for Sunday night's Quaker State 400, available at Walmart. 
Childress would utter the most famous words in motorsports from inside the cockpit of the number 29 car that Kevin Harvick drove to victory at Atlanta Motor Speedway back in 2001. His team at Richard Childress Racing has scored 15 victories at AMS across NASCAR's three national touring series, including nine at the NASCAR Cup Series level. With Sunday night's race starting uh, an RCR car leading the field during pace lap, Childress hopes the race will end the same way after 400 miles of close quarters racing. Okay, also Andy Grammer will headline the Reps and Revs and Riffs at Atlanta this weekend. He's a multi-platinum singer and will headline Atlanta Motor Speedway's Revs and Riffs in July 8th and 9th. Grammer will bring his hugely popular pop anthems to the pre-race stage on Sunday evening, July 9th, ahead of the Quaker State 400 and the NASCAR Cup Series race. Fans will enjoy Grammer's catalog of full, full of bona fide hits, including the quadruple platinum, Honey, I'm Good, and platinum singles like Keep Your Head Up, Find By Me, and Good to Be Alive, Hallelujah. The pre-race concert will be the headline act for the sophomore year of Revs and Riffs, which blends concerts and racing together in one entertainment-filled weekend during Atlanta Motor Speedway's summer NASCAR weekend. Well, this should be no surprise, being that we cover him in a lot of different series, but NASCAR's Kyle Larson has been nominated for ESPN's Best Driver ESPY Award. He's a 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion and Hendrick Motorsports driver Kyle Larson, again nominated for ESPN's SB Best Driver Award for the second consecutive year in a row. Larson won the award in 2022 for his performance in his championship season, championship winning season of 2021. The four drivers vying for the SB Award this year are Brittany Force in the NHRA, Kyle Larson in NASCAR, Joseph Newgarden from IndyCar, and Max Verstappen from Formula One. Larson drives the number five for HendrickCars.com Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports, has won two races this season at Richmond and Martinsville, has a total of eight top fives and nine top tens, along with two poles. Larson finished the 2022 season with three wins, 13 top fives, 19 top tens, four poles after leading 635 laps. The 30-year-old Cup Series champion is one of five drivers to win the award, along with Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., and Jimmy Johnson. This 30th edition of the SB Awards will take place this Wednesday, July 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Fans can cast their uh, votes for the favorite driver up until Sunday, July 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And that's over at ESPN. Okay, also, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen is the latest of a lengthy list of new winners in the Cup Series. Uh, Cast Racing's Project 91 delivered big time last weekend in the inaugural Chicago Street Race when Shane Van Gisbergen became the 204th different race winner in NASCAR Cup Series history. With that Chicago win, Van Gisbergen becomes the seventh driver all time in the NASCAR Cup Series history to win in his series debut, uh, and the first to do it since Johnny Rutherford did that back in 1963 at Daytona. 
Now, Van Gisbergen is also the first driver not from the United States to win in his Cup Series debut. And looking to this weekend, the Cup Series heads to Atlanta Motor Speedway with 10 different drivers entered in the Quaker State 400 um, on Sunday. Uh, Harrison Burton, Ty Dillon, Ty Gibbs, Todd Gilliland, Noah Gregson, Austin Hill, Corey LaJoy, B.J. McLeod, Ryan Priest, and J.J. Yaley. Spire Motorsports' Corey LaJoy came close to getting their first Career Cup win at Atlanta back in March when he finished a career best fourth. If there's another first-time winner this weekend in Atlanta, it will be the 23rd time in Cup Series uh, history that they've seen back-to-back first-time winners. Most importantly, most recently in 2021, Michael McDowell won at Daytona and Christopher Bell at the Daytona Road Course opened up the season with two first-time winners. It's a wonderful time to be be competing in the Cup Series. In fact, the last decade of Cup Series racing from 2013 to 23 has produced 22 of the 204 first-time winners in the series. Uh, Along with Shane Van Gisbergen, there's Tyler Reddick, uh, Daniel Suarez, Van Gisbergen did it this year. Last year, it was Tyler Reddick, Daniel Suarez, Ross Chastain, Chase Briscoe, and Austin Sindrick getting their first wins. Uh, in 21, it was Bubba Wallace, Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell, and William Byron. Cole Custer did it in 20. Uh, then it was Justin Haley and Alex Bowman uh, getting their first wins in 2019, Chase Elliott in 2018, along with Eric Jones, Ryan Blaney, Austin Dillon, and Ricky Stenhouse in 2017, Kyle Larson and Chris Buescher in 16, and then A.J. Allmendinger and Eric Amarola in 2014. Since the inception of the Cup Series in 1949, the, 100, the 1950 season holds the record for the most first-time winners in a single season with a total of 12, followed by the 1956 season with 10 different first-time winners. The all-time most different uh, winners in an entire Cup Series season are 19 different race winners in a single season, and it's happened four times. In 56, during the 56 race season, in 58, during the 51 race season, in 61, with 52 races on the schedule, and in 2001, uh, with 36 races on the season. The 23 season, with 12 different cup winners, is tied with the 1986-88, the 2000-2001 Seven, eleven, and 12 seasons for the third most winners through the first 18 races of the season in the modern era, 72 to the present. And 2003 holds the record for the most different winners through the first 18 races of the season in the modern era with 14 different winners. Uh, some big stats there. Well, and we're getting down to it. A few more races here in the Cup Series, but the race to the playoff chances to earn a spot yet. We and need to read it. win this season. Okay. All right. Drivers without wins this season have only the eight races left in the regular season to earn that playoff spot, starting with Atlanta Motor Speedway. A total of 11 have already earned their spot in the playoffs by wins. William Byron, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., 
Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain, Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Tyler Reddick, and then Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That leaves five spots. Currently, those spots on points are Kevin Harvick at plus 151, Chris Buescher, 104 up, Brad Keselowski, 91, Bubba Wallace, 15, and rookie Ty Gibbs at plus six. As we head into Atlanta, the 19th race of the 26th regular season, six that have made the playoffs last season are currently out, and that includes Daniel Suarez, Alex Bowman, Austin Sindrick, Chase Elliott, Austin Dillon, and Chase Briscoe. Positions 15 through 18 right now are separated by just 25 points. Others along that cut line behind Joe Gibbs um, is Trackhouse Racing Daniel Suarez, who's six points back in that final spot. But the drivers outside that cut line will have to work to catch them if they expect to catch up to Gibbs. Made a serious track today at Atlanta earlier this season where he started 35th and raced up to 9th. Now, most notably sitting outside the playoff cut line is uh, this ra- the defending winner of this race in Georgia's own Chase Elliott, who's currently 24th in the standings, 55 points back. Now, lucky for Elliott and his enduring fans, this is one of his better tracks. In nine Cup Series starts, he's got one win in 2022, two top fives, seven top tens. Average finish at the 1.54-mile track, 11.3 which is best among active drivers with more than one start. Okay. Well, the Cup Series is ready to turn up the heat at Hotlanta Motor Speedway. When celebrating uh, the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, uh, it's the people and the places that have helped make the sport what it is today. And one track that has been around for a good portion of those 75 years is Atlanta Motor Speedway. It's 63 years to be exact. Originally called Atlanta International Raceway, the track was then a 1.5-mile paved speedway, and it hosted the first Cup Series race on July 31st of 1960. The event was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Fireball Roberts from the pole position in the 1960 Pontiac. And much like we all evolve over time, Atlanta has undergone a few reconfigurations since opening its doors. The track was remeasured to 1.522 miles in the spring of 70 and was renamed Atlanta Motor Speedway in 1990. The track layout was reversed and the track was reconfigured to 1.54 miles between two races, uh, between the two races in 1997. Then in the off-season prior to 2022, the track was again reconfigured by narrowing the racing surface and raising the degree of banking in the turns to 28 degrees. Now from 60 to 2010, Atlanta hosted multiple Cup Series races each season starting in 2011. The series began only visiting Atlanta once a year. That happened from 11 to 2020, and the 21 season marked the first time since 2010 that the series visited the facility more than once a year. Also worth noting, from 87 to 2000, Atlanta Motor Speedway hosted the final championship race on the Cup Series schedule. In total, there have been 118 Cup Series races at Atlanta since the first race there in 1960, 118 cup races have produced 52 different pole winners and 48 different race winners. Seven of the 52 
Uh, poll winners are active this weekend. They include Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Eric Almarola, Kyle Busch, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Denny Hamlin, and Martin Truex Jr. Only Logano and Harvick have two wins. Um, poll wins. Buddy Baker, uh, Ryan Newman are tied for the series' most polls at Atlanta Motor Speedway with seven apiece. Uh, and I mentioned Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick having two poles apiece. Eight of the 48 Cup Series uh, Atlanta winners are active this weekend. They include Harvick with three, Kyle Busch, I'm sorry, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch with two, Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Brian Blaney, and Denny Hamlin each have one. NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt leads the Cup Series wins at Atlanta with nine victories from 1980 through 2000. Kevin Harvick has three and leads all active drivers as uh, Cup Series winners at Atlanta Speedway. Then there's Chase Elliott, the defending winner of this race from July of last year. Joey Logano is the most recent winner, grabbing the checkered flag earlier this year in March. Now, the interesting twist of this round, two in Atlanta, it'll be under the lights. As they come for the Quaker State 400, it'll be go around with the competitors. They'll have to navigate this high-speed door-to-door action for the first time under the lights since the 1.5-mile track reconfigured by narrowing that racing service and raising the degree of banking in the turns, which went to 28. Earlier the year, earlier this year, Team Penske's Joey Logano scored his first and only win of the 2023 season, picked it up at Atlanta, extending the organization's wins at the 1.54-mile facility to seven victories. Now going into the 19th race, Logano has the opportunity to become the 12th different winner, or 12th different driver to win consecutive cup races at Atlanta. He would join Marvin Paunch, Bobby Allison, David Pearson, Richard Petty, Cale Yarbrough, Bill Elliott, Dale Earnhardt, Bobby Labonte, Jeff Gordon, Carl Edwards, and Jimmy Johnson to do it. RFK's Brad Keselowski, a Finnish runner-up to Logano earlier, he and his former teammate put on quite the show. But uh, this weekend, they won't have any practice, so the Cup Series will be on track to kick off the action. Bushlight pool qualifying will start at 5.35 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, July 8th, and qualifying will be televised on the USA Network. Okay, we made it through there, and I'm really happy that that happened, Jay. We are all of our uh, preview in for the Cup Series. And, um, excuse me, um, there is a change, though, that I want to make sure we mention. NASCAR changes the pit road speed limit and the DVP at Atlanta. That's posted over at Jayski's. Uh, NASCAR officials announced today that an alteration to the pit road speed limit procedures for this week's Xfinity and Cup Series events at Atlanta Motor Speedway. After extending that pit entrance to turn three for the spring race in March, a product of Atlanta's 2022 reconfiguration that resulted in the super speedway style of racing, uh, NASCAR implemented two separate pit road speed limits under green flag conditions for this week's race. During green flag pit stops, sections one and two, a pit road will be limited to 90 mile per hour, while sections three through 18 will be policed 
at 45 miles per hour. Under under caution, flag conditions, pit road will be 45 miles an hour for the full distance of pit road, starting from the white commitment line in turn three to the pit exit in turn one. The extended length of pit road saw a steady 45 mile per hour speed limit at all times during the March race weekend, resulting resulting in cars uh, falling laps down during green flag conditions. NASCAR's goal of implementing two separate pit road speed limits is to help minimize the team's chances of falling off that lead lap during such pit cycles. Additionally, NASCAR's damaged vehicle policy by one minute in each series, which is consistent with the sanctioning body's approach to the March event. Cup teams will have eight minutes to repair damage to their vehicles and meet minimum speed requirements, up from its standard seven minutes. Xfinity Series teams will have seven minutes to fix their cars, up from six minutes. So I wanted to make sure that we got that in as well uh, so that people kind of know that that is a change for this weekend compared to the race that took place there back in March. Well, and that truthfully sounds like it might be a hot topic for Hotlanta. How about that? (laughs) It does indeed sound that way. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Jay, you might have to introduce the hot topics. All right. Well, it sounds like Sharon needs to get a drink of water. I don't know for sure who's in the queue yet or not, and I can't bring them in, but I do know that Mike Orzel was supposed to be here this uh, afternoon, as well as Brian Eberle, and we had him on Thursday night for the preview show, and he did his live blog from Chicago Street Course Race um, throughout this weekend. So hopefully he they're both here and ready to go for our hot topic session. Uh, Mike, a regular here on Fan for Racing. Brian, been with, uh, I'm not sure how long he's been with Sharon and Fan for Racing. I know he took a break from racing, but is back involved in it. And here at FanForRacing.com. Okay, I am back. I think I got my voice back. Uh, Mike, you're welcome to the show. (laughs) Good to be here. I I hope you're on the the way back. You sounded pretty rough there, so hopefully... uh, Fill the water in you, and uh, you're ready to go here. Yeah, I did drink some water, but it didn't really help. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, Brian Eberly as well. Welcome to our Hot Topic segment, Brian. Hey, how's it going, everybody? That's actually a good question that, that Jay posed there. I don't know how long we've known each other. Was it like 2014 or 15? Definitely 2016, I feel like, for sure. I want to say 14 yeah, or 15. I'm not sure. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> it has indeed. But, Brian, I'm going to give you up here for uh, our hot topics. <clears throat> and that's because you were at the Chicago Street Race this weekend. I love the live blog that you did and uh, the enthusiasm uh, that you felt uh, for these races. Uh, so now that the race is over, uh, tell us your thoughts. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I still feel kind of like it was surreal, and I can't believe that it that it really happened. You know, being from a kid going downtown Chicago and walking around those streets to like seeing it for the first time in the early hours of Friday morning, you're just walking down Michigan Avenue, it literally dead ends, 
into one of the turns of the street course is still just absolutely crazy to me that they were able to pull that off. I think, um, you know, I'm also curious to hear from everyone else, like what it looks like on TV, right? I feel like every race I go to, I feel like it's always better in person to be there than probably it looked on TV. Obviously all that rain was absolutely awful for the fans, the competitors and everybody that busted their butt so hard to put that whole event together. But I think it still came off and looked really good. There was a lot of fan excitement and people that were down there and around there that didn't know anything about NASCAR, people that were asking questions, people that said they were going to buy tickets next year. Um, Just a lot of excitement from, I think, those newer fans, which is pretty awesome to see. But I'm also curious to see kind of how the the longstanding and and, and very loyal fans that have been watching for years felt about it as well. I think for me, I don't want to see a ton of street courses a year, obviously. I think this kind of one one a year. I think Jensen Button put that the best in one of his media availabilities coming into the, the weekend. If it's just one race on the calendar, if it works, great. If it doesn't, then we go back to the drawing board. Personally, I think it worked well enough to at least give it a second chance, and and uh, I'm excited to kind of see what, what improvements and tweaks, and hopefully we do not get that much rain. It was insane, the amount of rain that kept coming down on Sunday. And I, I mean, it had before that, before this weekend, it hadn't rained around here in Chicagoland in like almost a month. I think I mowed my friend's lawn like once in a month. So it uh, it's, it was pretty crazy. And I was fortunate that that happened on that Sunday for sure. Okay. I know Julie Geese said it was two months uh, that you guys hadn't seen any rain there. But Mike, what were your thoughts? Because I know uh, you and I were both a little bit skeptical. I was very skeptical on this thing. I think I went into the weekend. I think the words I used were cautiously optimistic, and I think that was about the the best I could do in terms of what I was expecting here. I was blown away. I I thought that this race, I, I figured it was going to go one of two ways, neither one really great. I figured it was either going to be a single-file snoozer with very, very little passing or just a wreck-fest mess where they can barely get a lap in under green because they'd be hitting the, hitting the walls, hitting each other, hitting pretty much everything. I was wrong on both counts. We ended up getting a great race. It was entertaining. It was action-packed. Um, having Shane Van Gisberg win was a, a great side story, but not, not the story. The, the story was the fact that they pulled this thing off. And it wasn't just me who got one over on this. I've been keeping an eye on the NASCAR subreddit for the city of Chicago. Um, it, it, so if you're not familiar with Reddit, it, there's various topics in Chicago. The city of Chicago has a, a dedicated subreddit on there. And I was keeping an eye on there. And going into the weekend, it was very – I wouldn't say hostile, but it was definitely annoyed. There weren't a lot of people who were super excited about it. They were complaining about the traffic. They were complaining about stores being closed. They were complaining about basically everything. And NASCAR won them over, even despite the weather. People said they had a great time out there. They went out there. They, even if they didn't buy a ticket, they would find places to watch the race and take in the sights and the sounds, and they had a good time. And it went from, oh, my God, I can't wait for these rednecks to be out of town to – wow, I had a great time. I can't wait for them to come back, which is really, really good to see. Now, as far as what NASCAR can do to improve the event next year, I think the course is fine. I think the big thing that they need to look at is the start time. I think the weather absolutely saved their butts this weekend. Now, it was obviously inconvenient to lose basically over half of the Xfinity Series race, but the Cup Series race only started about 45 minutes past their originally scheduled start time. Remember, it was supposed to start at 4.30 p.m., local Chicago time for a 100-lap race. 
The green flag dropped at about 5.15, so about 45 minutes past their originally scheduled start time. The race ran fairly smoothly, but NASCAR still had to drop 25% off of that race because of darkness. If that race had started on time with good weather and they didn't have the weather to blame that on, it would have been a pretty ugly thing for NASCAR to have to shorten the race that started on schedule. So I think the big improvement for next year, they really need to take a look at the start time and make sure now that they have the data on how long it takes to get around this course, how the race tends to go, Maybe back that start time up an hour or two so they're not bumping up against darkness like they were this year. Other than that, I really, really enjoyed it. Now, that doesn't mean I'm with Jensen Button. That does not mean I want to see them put half a dozen street courses on the schedule. Keep, it in, keep one street course a year, whether it's Chicago. Or the, the, I think uh, Ben Kennedy was already talking about they're looking at other markets, including outside of the United States. That's great. It's a good opportunity for NASCAR to take their show on the road, uh, literally, to – different cities without having to have a dedicated racetrack. So now that we, we made one work in Chicago, we've got the opportunity to go elsewhere. But kind of like what Jay says, we've got to be really careful about having too much of a good thing. Just because the Chicago race was a great success, that does not mean we need to pack the schedule with half a dozen of these things. Keep it special. Keep it unique. And I think that's going to be part of what makes it so special going forward. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, kind of in line with everybody so far. Uh, again, I, I certainly was uh, was not a hundred percent behind it. Had those questions going in, see how it went. But overall, absolutely a complete success. Obviously, weather hampered it. There were some issues, but overall, it's got to be considered a success. Uh, Mike used the word "great racing," which I find ironic because I've had other races I thought were great and he didn't. I wouldn't say it was great racing, but it was good. And like he said, it wasn't one of one lane follow leader. And as mentioned during our uh, review show, it wasn't a wreck fest either. We had one situation where there were seven cars involved. Other than that, it was one or two by themselves. Most of the time, Noah Gregson, right, Mike? Um, but it, there really wasn't a big, uh, what you would consider a demo derby. Um, and there was some passing throughout the field. Now, it was ironic. Uh, I don't remember if it was Sheldon Creed with the moves he made through the Xfinity Series. One of the drivers said he didn't even realize how many positions he had passed. Um, there are definitely some things that could be tweaked on to make it better. I think they have for sure earned the right to come back and do it again because barring weather, I think the entire weekend was just a smash for the Chicago, city of Chicago. Uh, hopefully that does come to fruition, and it sounds like it will. I know they're under a three-year contract, so we got two years left. Some other tweaks, like Mike said, maybe the start time. Maybe there's some spots where they can widen it out and create a little bit more side-by-side -side possible uh, passing zones, but you have that with any road course. Uh, again, I don't remember the driver. Um, one of them said they felt like there were more passing zones there than there were at Sonoma, so, and that's a regular road course. Like I said, I, you know, for, I know it was my mom that was one that mentioned it. She said she didn't much care for it um, because she didn't feel there was a lot of side-by-side -side racing. But I think there really was. I mean, especially when you talk about road course racing. There is only certain passing zones unless you just absolutely have a more dominant car. Um, but, yeah, overall, I mean, I, like I said, I got to give it an absolute success overall. Just like we talked about with the, the Bristol dirt race, first year was a little rough. Whatever the reason, give it time. I think they can make this even better 
first off would be get rid of at least the torrential downpour that y'all had in Chicago. Uh, the wet wet tires thing, I know everybody likes to see that and and see the strategy with that, but this was beyond that and really caused some havoc on the whole event of the weekend as well. Absolutely. I agree with everything that you guys have all said so far. Skeptical in the beginning, totally blown away, and uh, I'm convinced and uh, ready to go for another one. Um, But I also agree we don't need several of these on the schedule. The one on the schedule is perfect, and uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see where NASCAR goes with this. I know there are some issues with the city council with regard to NASCAR coming into town. I'm hoping that they were just as convinced as we are that this was a good thing. I hope they get the revenue that they were looking for um, and that they want us back for two more years at least. Um, And, and Brian, when it's your turn, I hope maybe you can give us some insight on that. Um, uh, And then also – When I looked at the Xfinity Series race, they were the first ones on a very big unknown event. And I thought they did a good job of watching their P's and Q's and kind of keeping an eye on things. Sheldon Creed, I thought, was phenomenal coming from the back and racing his way toward the front uh, when this thing was called. I'm almost convinced uh, that he probably would have won this race or at least put on a good show with Cole Custer had he made it to the front and had that opportunity to race for the win. Uh, But he seemed to be the only one in the Xfinity Series that was really uh, making those passes and moving up through the field. Um, But I thought that Xfinity Series drivers did a good job with a complete unknown in uh, kind of keeping an eye on things and keeping their cars clean. Uh, When it came to the Cup Series race, I noticed right away that Cup Series drivers were more aggressive, um, and they they were making those passes. Um, Noah Gregson should have turn six aimed after him. Uh, he liked to spend a lot of time in that corner. But, uh, you know, he's a rookie, and he made some mistakes. He made quite a few. But I will say uh, he was able to recover from some of those mistakes, and he had a fairly decent finish. Uh, I thought the Cup Series did a good job, too. Uh, even with their aggression, I thought they put on a good show. Uh, I love the finish of the race when uh, Van Gisbergen passed uh, Chase Elliott, one of the best road course racers in NASCAR Cup Series, uh, and he made it look easy and then went on to pass Justin Haley. Justin Haley held his own and passed him back. And then Van Ginsbergen, uh, went on to pass him for the, again, for the lead. And then won by over a second, uh, at the end of the race. Uh, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. None of the things I was worried about happened, uh, which is what they say happens when you worry about things. Uh, most of the time, 90% of the time, what you worry about does not come to pass. Well, that's what happened at Chicago Lands, at, at um, the Chicago Street Race. Um, and <clears throat> that, the vibe, oh gosh, Brian, your blog gave us a good vibe.
vibe of what was happening downtown Chicago with the fans, uh, with the preparations, uh, even with the teardown. Uh, there was a tremendous vibe. I do think that maybe the start of the race might have, might have had something to do with logistics. Um, they had musical. This was not just a race that was taking place. This was a music event and race that was taking place. And I've got a feeling that those logistics um, may have interfered with the start of that race. I'm not 100% sure. Again, uh, Brian might be able to help us out there. Um, <clears throat> but I do agree. I think they need to look at an earlier start time, given that they don't have the lights to be able to run this race uh, at nighttime. Uh, but now they've got a feel for that, and that, I think, does need to be a tweak that takes place. Uh, let me see. What else? I'll think of my other thoughts, I guess, when we go on the second go-around. But, Brian, what are your thoughts after we've all had a crack at this? <laughs> I think I got a long list there. I probably should have wrote them down because I probably forgot half of them. But to echo what you guys <laughs> said, yeah, I think going in, I thought, like, man, I don't know, this race could very well be a disaster. I was obviously excited that it was, you know, in in the in the city that I grew up around, but I was very cautious. I didn't think we would see it turn out nearly as well as we did, but I, I was glad they took the risk but I kind of felt like it might be one of those things that would be a one and done, or we'd be glad to see the three years gone of, of the agreement personally. So I think that was, that was definitely a shock. I think on the start time, at least from kind of what I had heard is Sunday NBC had the IndyCar race. And then they also had the senior golf tour, which ended right before the NASCAR coverage started. So I think that was part of the reason why Sunday's race was so late, which again, I agree that they got to move that up earlier. I mean, just four thirty on a Sunday anyway, is just, kind of a ridiculously late start time, especially when it comes to NASCAR. Um, I do kind of like Saturday, if you put the extremely race later and then the chain smokers were supposed to go on, I think that would have been really cool. Um, it does really suck that we didn't get a chance to kind of see what an 80-degree Sunday in Chicago would have been with those concerts. I walked that field area with the stage very, very early on Friday morning. It was pretty quiet, and there was really only news crews around ready to go with their 4 a.m. live shots from – from down there by um, Buckingham Fountain, but like it was just really cool, big big area. You could just really spread out, put your chair down, enjoy the concerts, and and there were people there for just the concerts. So on Saturday we were we're walking around the track, my friend and I, outside down Michigan Avenue, which honestly is probably one of the other cool things of the weekend. Like we're just strolling down Michigan Avenue. Chase Elliott walked by, Ricky Stenhouse, Kyle and Samantha Bush were out there, you know, and and Eric Armarola walked by. And, you know, they, some of them were wearing street clothes. Most of them were wearing a T-shirt with maybe a logo on it. So unless you, you followed NASCAR, you didn't know who they were. So this couple was like, hey, how do you guys know? Like, you guys are big NASCAR fans. Like, are these, like, who, who's who and whatnot? And they literally came just because they love Miranda Lambert. So they bought the overpriced, in my opinion, general admission tickets to see Miranda Lambert. So I, I guarantee you there were other people there that were, were kind of doing the same thing. They were there more for the concerts. And the race was kind of a nice sideshow where a lot of us would have been there for the race with the concerts being a nice sideshow. But I think, you know, th that, that definitely missed out. And I'm excited to see what w we'll bring in in next year when they can't have those concerts and things like that. I know there was a big plan. I think um, Saturday night before the Chainsmokers concert, I think every cup driver was going to get introduced um, to the crowd and stuff like that. So I think that was another really great way to kind of show those drivers off to people that may have been there just for the concert. So I think that was awesome. Um, I'm trying to think what else I had on my, my list in my head. I, I like the the Butler Butler Field kind of free area for fans. I will say it was maybe a little light on sponsor activation. They had like Toyota and Chevy and stuff had their stuff inside the track, but it would have been nice to kind of see that 
in the free area. And I don't know how many people might have just come down to walk around the free area. But I think the coolest thing for that was it was basically a fence that kind of goes around Butler Field. And they had all the cup garage areas, which was basically the, the teams working working underneath the tent with their, their, their boxes and stuff. And you could walk right up and watch them work on the cars, which you don't get at most tracks without having a hot pass or a garage pass. So the fact that you didn't even need a ticket to go to the race, I think that was awesome. Definitely people were taking advantage of that on Saturday. Um, I don't know how many people were out there on Sunday because I'm pretty sure it was a muddy march and the teams weren't even really out there by the cars. But I think that was really unique and different, um, really cool. All the Xfinity haulers were basically parked on the southbound lanes of Lakeshore Drive, like four wide, which was just kind of a crazy sight to see. Um, unfortunately, the teams then had to push all that shit like a half mile inside the track. So I'm sure some of them were a little bit exhausted after after that and, and all the Xfinity teams having to stay an extra night um, as well. I will say it's kind of disappointing they weren't able to get that Xfinity race started. I know um, some of the teams, especially some of the smaller teams, spent a, a hefty amount on staying an extra night in Chicago on hotel bills and then didn't even get to finish out that race. So disappointing, but unfortunately you can't control the weather. I don't know what else NASCAR really could have done other than maybe earlier start times. Um, and I also think there was definitely a push to not have to run anything into Monday because they wanted to start the streets opening up again right away. I mean, if you saw other other media people had some posts, but they had basically Michigan Avenue reopened by 8, 9 o'clock. They, they were running, you know, flatbed semis in there to take those barriers down all through the night once that race ended. And I also think they didn't want to push it to Monday and then that go into Tuesday and have all these people working on a holiday as well. So there were a lot of moving parts and pieces there. Um, another thing that I heard just from friends, they like to almost seem to do it on not Fourth of July weekend just because there's always so much else going on in the city as well. But it's kind of nice to have that be its its own thing, maybe not Fourth of July weekend. Um, so that's kind of my overall thoughts. I feel like I rambled there a bit, but um, that, was, that was what I think I had in my head. I probably should have made a list because you guys said a lot of great things. And I think it's awesome to hear that, that, you know, so many people thought it was such a great weekend. And I think there were a lot of people that were exposed to NASCAR that, like, hadn't been before. I think my only thing on the flip side there is, okay, they see this. But then, you know, you're not going to see a race like this the rest of the season. Sure, maybe something a little similar on road courses. But Atlanta is going to look nothing like this weekend looked. Um, obviously, going to an oval track just has a different look and feel than a street course. Um, I know it was really cool. A lot of the drivers and teams said they liked the fact they could just walk out of their hotel and walk to the track. Um, I say to the Congress Plaza, which literally overlooks the track. So our room actually had a, a view of kind of one of the turns a little bit there as well. So definitely some cool vantage points. I do know there are some companies that have, you know, office space that overlook the track and they held held events and have basically had their office open over the weekend. Some were giving their employees free food to come check it out. So I think a lot of people that weren't even ticket holders were, were checking it out from office buildings and around the track as well, which I think is, is awesome. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. So rev up your backyard time machine. Go back 10, 15 years or so. Find some NASCAR fans. And we got to talk to them because we've got two mind-blowing things that have happened this season. And if you told a NASCAR fan for 10 to 15 years ago, hey, um, the cup heat races at North Wilkesboro, they're going to start on time but they're going to have to start on rain tires on that oval track at North Wilkesboro. That'll blow their mind. And if that didn't do it, tell them, hey, we're going to get about seven inches in Chicago, so the street race in Chicago is going to start about 45 minutes late. But they'll be on rain tires, so they'll be okay. Um, And that Australian supercar guy is going to come in and just wax the entire field. 
Mind blow. Uh, so twice in one year, right. we've had two just mind mind blowing kind of uh, things that happen, and it really highlights kind of the, the the evolution of the sport. And I think it's been really great to see, just in the past like less than five years, how much the sport has changed, and for the most part, it's for the better. Um, you've got new leadership in positions. You got Ben Kennedy, Marcus Smith, and then on the team owner side, you've got. People like Justin Marks, Jeff Gordon, Denny Hamlin. So you've got a refresh of leadership that is coming in with fresh ideas and the willingness to try new and different things that, that has broken NASCAR out of the, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, the rut that they've been in for almost 20 years. And I really like what I've seen. I was ex- We've talked about before how they're going to try these new things, and some things are going to be a hit, and some things are going to be a miss. And I think a lot of us were expecting Chicago to be one of those misses, and it wasn't, which was great to see. So I'm looking forward to see what they come up with next. I don't know what – they tried a dirt track. They've tried a street race. Who knows what's coming up next? But I'm interested to see it. I've really liked what I've seen so far, and I'm happy that they're willing to take risks like this because it's, so far it's paid off. Okay, uh, Jay, your follow-up. Well, one thing there, of uh, Mike was being kind of a negative towards the past, but I kind of have to agree with him. Um, with the new leadership, like he mentioned, trying new things outside the box. Yeah, in the past, even narrow it down to, I'd say, three years of the things they've done, the willingness to try and see what works and stick with it. Again, the dirt race ran three years. I liked it. It improved every year but they want to move on to something else. And I'm okay with that. Um, the street course, we mentioned it, maybe two. I, I wouldn't even be opposed to necessarily two, but absolutely no more. Um, you know, make this one work, be a success. Then whether it stays, you know, Brian mentioned, maybe not the 4th of July weekend, a weekend that everybody's got, everybody's got something going on um, everywhere. So, you know, that's a thought. My only still concern with it is what we had happen is, they are in a very serious box of having to get the race in as scheduled on time or cut it in half. And one of them, I know NASCAR broke their rule. There's always that exception to the rule with the Xfinity Series race. Very unfortunate, um, but I, I don't know what other option they had. The same then with the Cup Series when it comes to calling it a, a 25 laps short. And I know all the teams were aware of it. We've seen it before where they know what's coming, you know, they just don't know when. And unfortunately, some teams kind of got burned by it. But that's one of those that you take the weather out of it. Maybe that earlier start time will see fix itself and we'll have an even better race the next time out. Um, I think, again, the overall, the interaction with the city, um, the things that were going on that Brian covered on his, on his blog, the drivers that were involved in, Brian mentioned it, seeing these drivers walking around. The drivers enjoyed that. They said that was cool to be out. And I think it's going to gain exposure on so many different levels. Having the Australian V8 car, uh, driver of Shane Van Gisenberg come in with Project 91 and what they're doing, some of the other drivers that have been mentioned with that, I think we may see more of that, um, especially when it comes to if it's a one-off deal uh, I think is very interesting. It adds to the sport, especially when you see one of them come in and win it. You know, we haven't seen that. We used to talk about the road course ringers. It wasn't real often that they actually even won it, but they brought a new fan base, you know, some other eye, eyeballs on the sport. 
So I just I think overall it's great. And Mike mentioned it of what we're going to see next. I'm still campaigning for the whole five six trucks, five six Xfinity, and five six Cup cars all on the track, just like the uh, 24 hours of Daytona, where you got multiple classes <laughs> running at the same time. I want to see the trucks Xfinity and Cup all run together at the same time. I would it's, tell you that's crazy, but like Mike said, we've seen so many crazy things that that may uh, that may happen actually. Okay. Um, I'm going to make a quick announcement here for our first-time listeners. We are going to go off the air. Oh, we don't have to do that. We're on a podcast. Forget about it. Um, Jay, were you done? Yeah, that was it. Like I said, that, that was my plug for the next thing we see. <laughs> okay. Um, I have just a couple things to add, and I'm going to try to make it brief here. Um, there was so much hype about this Chicago Street Race event. Uh, and one thing that I was pleasantly surprised with, because we've complained about this, uh, Brian, you know about this, the, the lack of local coverage of the NASCAR race. Um, it was historic. There's no doubt about it. And the local media did show up, and they did cover the race. Uh, some of it was good. Some of it was mediocre. Some of it was really good. Uh, but I was glad to see the local media out in force and covering the event. Um, you, you mentioned uh, a different weekend. I think one of the reasons they chose this particular weekend for this race, uh, there's a number of reasons, but I think perhaps one of the reasons is because there was a holiday and because that meant that there might be uh, less work traffic uh, that they would have to deal with as a result of uh, the holiday. But there, there obviously was a lot of traffic with people coming in for the music and everything else. Years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, or um, uh, Brian, but years ago we used to do Taste of Chicago around this time of the year, and I thought wouldn't it be great if they did the race around the Taste of Chicago? Just a wild idea that kind of went through my head. Uh, but that would be another draw of people uh, talk about bringing the race to the people, uh, that would be another draw uh, to bring people to the downtown area uh, for the race, uh, as well as the yeah, case of Chicago. Um, that's a great but, idea. Uh, so, pardon me? That's a great idea. Or even if they did kind of like a, you know, like the food trucks are such the rage these days, a little food truck festival down there to just draw people out for the food. And then I think, you know, draw more people out of the area. Obviously, you don't want massive, massive crowds, but it wasn't massive crowds around the track by any means, but there was a good amount of people that were clearly just there. And some people stumbled upon it and were, you know, in town as tourists and didn't even know that, like, the race was necessarily going on until, you know, they got got to Chicago. So I think, you know, other things that might make people want to come down and, and check out the area as well could be unique and interesting. I obviously love the truck series. I'd love to see them bring the trucks as well. The only thing I don't know is if they just think there's not enough, you know, Space and everything like that. I know for the, the merchandise haulers, they didn't have those. They did the kind of the yeah. tent thing like they did there for a while, so they didn't bring those um, down. I do think there's probably space around there to get the trucks in, but also, you know, then you're dealing with three series. you got to get in with weather and everything as well. But I think a big triple header weekend like that, maybe a little exhibition where they run, you know, Jay's dream of six, six from each series or something like that would be kind of cool. Or I, actually, I mean, the original idea, I think, before it was Xfinity was, I think IMSA was going to come with them. It was going to be IMSA and Cup. And honestly, I'd kind of almost love to see that over Xfinity, get IMSA and, you know, expose people, even myself, to 
a series that you don't watch that much or something like that. I think that would be kind of cool. Definitely there's a lot of opportunity there. You did make a good point. Maybe the, the fourth weekend is good because there isn't as much, you know, work-related traffic. A lot of people are already off on Friday, getting out of the city. Um, you know, if, if you were really that upset about the race coming, there's your perfect opportunity to leave the city. I mean, a lot of people do already anyway and go up to Wisconsin or elsewhere to the the lakes. So I do think you're, you're right. That is a good point of, you know, maybe got some of the, the local residents out of there. Yeah, shout out to at least some of the local coverage. Um, it was definitely kind of all over the Tribune and the Sun-Times, like you said, maybe not always good, talking about the traffic and such. Um, I watch, um, I, I typically don't watch the Chicago news anymore because it's usually so damn disappointing and depressing, honestly. But I was watching a little bit this week for sure. Um, NBC5 did a really nice job um, after the cup race on Sunday night, after Ross won in Nashville, they have a sports segment on Sundays anyway, which is like a 20 minute, basically everything that went on in sports over the weekend. And uh, Leah Ramini, one of the broadcasters interviewed AJ Allmendinger for a bit. And it's very nice kind of talking about like how this race is different and why they're doing it. And, you know, some, some really good positive coverage during that segment, as opposed to, you know, some of the coverage, at least leading off the broadcast and, and the weeks leading up to it was telling people what the traffic was like and obviously need to do that. But the sports segments and stuff had some really nice coverage of, you know, what was going on and why it was such a big deal and things like that. So I thought they did a, a nice job and you, you definitely knew that the race was going on for sure. They had some really good fan events around it. Um, one of the pieces of feedback I heard from a couple people was they felt that the, the fan events during the week weren't advertised as much to people that maybe weren't following NASCAR. I ran into a couple people that follow, you know, some blogs and some online social stuff for stuff in the city of Chicago. And like the event at Navy Pier on Tuesday wasn't even listed on there. They were like, we would have come down and checked that out if we would have known about it. Um, you know, NASCAR did a really nice job of, you know, partnering with the Sox and the Cubs. There was NASCAR night at Comiskey or U.S. Cellular Field uh, the yeah. Friday night before the weekend. And then NASCAR night, Thursday night at Wrigley, um, which they had uh, Stenhouse, Nemechek, and Harrison Burton throughout the first pitch and do the stretch. All the lineups were splashed with NASCAR logos when they announced them. And then Friday um, was 23-11 day at Wrigley as well. So I think it was Bubba Wallace and Kurt Busch. I don't know if they both threw out the first pitch, but obviously they were all there. They had uh, Tyler Reddick's Jordan um, show car outside the stadium all weekend. So really good job of kind of letting people know that, hey, NASCAR is in town. Come check us out. Absolutely. And uh, I plan to be there next year, uh, Brian. <laughs> Uh, I, I wanted to wait it out. I thought I could see more on TV uh, than I could being down there, but you've kind of changed my mind there, too. Uh, it would have been nice to have been a part of that historic weekend. Okay. Um, are we ready to move on to a new topic? Okay. If so, Mike, you get to bring up that next hot topic. Well, we talked about should the Chicago street race come back, and obviously I think we're in resounding agreement that yes, it is. But the other big topic that came out of Chicago was regarding the winner, Shane Van Gisberg, and he's just out of the car. And they're already talking about is he going to come to the U.S. to race full-time NASCAR, and he expressed some interest in it. Now, he is under contract for the 2024 uh, season for the Australian Supercar Series that is his full-time job. However, an article in the Australian sports press that came out a couple days after the race, it sounded like all parties involved in that contract would be willing to release Van Gisbergen if he were able to secure a full-time NASCAR ride, and that's what he wanted to do. So the big question here is, is that something he should do? I don't know. I'm interested to hear your opinions, though. Jay, you get the first crack at this one. 
Well, that, that would be depending on, like I said, the availability um, of whether or not he could put together a full-time ride. Uh, I think he has the talent and the V8 supercars. Mostly you see the road course racing, um, such as, as he did there on the Chicago street course. We've seen it before. Marcus Ambrose, uh, AJ Allmendinger. It takes time to develop then your oval track skills when it comes to that. Um, you still have a shot at making the championship, especially the way it is now, by winning a road course. But to be competitive and compete for the championship, you're certainly going to have to up that game. If he wants it and that's what his dream is and it can be worked out, uh, Mike, the name is Jamie Winstrup, uh, and I've seen him race as well there with the V8 Supercars. Uh, great series, actually, if you get uh, coverage of it. Um, like you said, I, I think of it kind of like Dale Earnhardt Jr. with his uh, Xfinity Series team. He doesn't want to hold anybody back. You know, uh, we, we just saw Noah Gregson move up last year, Josh Berry move up. That's part of it. They know that they're, a, I guess, a stepping stone, if you will, a development process, that that's their role in it. So it was great to see that. We'll have to see if it develops. Uh, I know Trackhouse has talked about possibly being a third full-time but they really weren't ready with the Project 91. That was designed for specifically this intent, which they got in just the exposure of a few or f- few races here and there with different drivers. So we'll have to see what opportunity is available um, with that. I know his major sponsor is Red Bull, and they've already made a run at sponsorship of a team. Granted, it was from the team owner side along with sponsorship, Maybe if it's just sponsorship for another team that is involved, it might be a little bit different. So it'll be interesting to watch and follow that storyline. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I I do think it's interesting. I I mean, I think I'd love to see it just because it is a different story um, if he came and ran a full-time season. I kind of think I'd like he'd still run in supercars and come in here and run in as much as he can, you know, some road courses, some ovals, some things mixed in like a really great opportunity to get, you know, supercar fans maybe interested in NASCAR. And I, I think even for me, I'm, I haven't had a chance to look it up yet, but how do I watch a supercar race? I want to watch him in his next race, you know, and I think I've seen some other people put that on Twitter as well. So this is really awesome to kind of, you know, bridge that, you know, motorsports fandoms from different series together, I think is really cool. I think it's always fun to watch, you know, will, will he be successful? You know, like you guys mentioned already, it isn't, I don't think it's going to be over. I mean, maybe it would be, but I mean, him coming in and, and winning a race like that's never really happened before on the first try. So maybe, but I mean, yeah, I think he would maybe really struggle on the ovals and, you know, maybe even struggle on the road courses and, you know, whatnot. But I mean, I was shocked. Like I had kind of forgotten that he was even in the, there was even somebody in the project 91 car this weekend until I saw it on the course on, on, on first, I think I saw it on the entry list on Friday. And I think I wonder how he'll do it. Maybe top 10. And I mean, he was strong all weekend, right? It wasn't like he, Looped into something on a green-white checkered or ran a completely different strategy than everybody else. He definitely was a very solid car all weekend long. So um, what I am curious on, I don't know, maybe you guys have seen I haven't really looked too closely, but obviously when Trackhouse won um, the weekend before down in Nashville, Justin Marks and stuff, they're very tied to the Nashville area, and they're sponsored by Tootsies. They went down there and kept the team playing and celebrated all night. So I am curious to see how they celebrated that win in Chicago. I never did. I never did see, except um, on Monday morning about 4.30 a.m., my friend and I were walking back to my car to leave and head back out to the Burbs to get to work for Monday. 
and uh, we saw two guys walking down the street, and one of them was wearing a an SVS T-shirt. So I said, I was like, oh, you guys have been up all night celebrating? And they just chuckled and said, yeah, something like that. So uh, definitely I think uh, his, I assume probably family or friends of his, obviously, because I, I don't think he saw many other than Ginsburg shirts around the NASCAR um, world. Um, I think you're going to see a lot now probably. But um, So I think hopefully they had a good time celebrating as well. I think, yeah, just a really cool story, I think. Kind of put that icing on the cake, if you will. On a race that was already great, even if it was a Chase Elliott or you know somebody else that won. So I think uh, really kind of cool, and I'm, I am curious to see like you know what is next for him. I don't know. Maybe you guys know is he scheduled to be in the car at all this year, or was this kind of a one and done for him? I'm, I'm not sure on that. Yeah, I don't know what his uh, future schedule looks like as far as uh, the Project 91 goes, but I thought this was a great choice for the Project 91. I don't know if you heard uh, Steve O'Donnell's uh, uh, media interview, but in that media interview he mentioned that uh, they had actually gone to see the supercars race uh, down in New Zealand and took a lot of advice from them as far as setting up the road course uh, there in Chicago. Uh, so I thought that was kind of really cool insight from uh, Steve O'Donnell. Um, I think that Trackhouse Racing, it would be great if he could come back to Trackhouse Racing in a third car, uh, but I would like to kind of see him uh, race an oval or, you know, some other type of track. Uh, I thought he was amazing. Um, in the uh, uh, road course at Chicago, the street race at Chicago. But Chase Elliott actually made a comment. I read this somewhere. I forget where I read it now. But uh, I guess he made a comment that he felt like Van Gisbergen uh, made all the NASCAR drivers look bad because he was so good. (laughs) And so maybe from that perspective, um, maybe from that perspective, uh, there's a lot that the NASCAR drivers could learn from the sports car driver, uh, whether it's Van Gisbergen or somebody else, uh, that would help them become better NASCAR drivers. Uh, I'm telling you, when he made those passes, he made it look so easy. Uh, it was unbelievable. Um, and uh, I, I really think that uh, Justin Haley held his own in that regard. But I'm curious to see what he does do. Uh, in the future, and I hope he does pursue something in NASCAR. I hope we see some more one-offs for him uh, before he pursues a full-time ride in the NASCAR Cup Series. Um, and maybe he can even make a, an Xfinity Series, uh, you know, show up there uh, for a race or two. Uh, but I think he, he is no doubt talented enough to be in uh, the NASCAR Cup Series. And I think it would be it would be a big benefit for everybody if he were to come uh, and race full time. Uh, and I think he'd have a lot of built-in fans uh, for when he arrives in the Cup Series. Uh, I think a lot of people are really impressed with him. And uh, if it holds true that the NASCAR drivers, and I've heard it over and over again with several drivers that we've had on the show here, in order to be the best, you got to be able to beat the best. And I hope they maintain uh, that kind of attitude uh, because if he comes into the series, I think he's going to give uh, these Cup Series drivers a little bit of a run for their money. And uh, I think it would be great. I think it would benefit everybody and be a, a win-win 
for everybody if they learn from him and, and become just as good as he is. So that's just my quick thoughts on that. Mike, what are your thoughts? I'm going to steal a line from Ray Sub here. I'm going to say pump the brakes. Um, nothing against Van Gisbergen, and if he wants to pursue a full-time career in NASCAR, far be it for me to say, no, that's not what he should do. However, you got to remember that this Chicago Streetways was tailor-made for a guy like this. It yep. suits his skill set almost perfectly, and it's not really a surprise that he came in and beat the pants off the, uh, the best NASCAR Cup Series drivers that we've got right now. But to expect that kind of result anywhere other than the Chicago Street Race, nothing against Shane Van Gisbergen. He's an extremely talented race car driver, but it's just unrealistic to expect him to be able to jump into a full-time NASCAR Cup Series or even a NASCAR Xfinity Series ride and be that competitive week in and week out. Oh, by the way, it would involve moving halfway across the world to a different country and leaving all his ties behind in uh, New Zealand and Australia to – I'm sure he had a whole lot of fun racing one-off in the 91 car at Chicago. It's a completely different animal racing a 36-race NASCAR Cup Series schedule, and it gets a lot less fun really, really quick, I would imagine, especially for a guy like that having to move so far in order to do it. The other big question here is where would he go? Uh, Justin Marks has said repeatedly he has no intention of making the 91 a full-time car. The whole idea behind Project 91, like Jay said, is to give the opportunity for world-class drivers from other disciplines to race in the NASCAR Cup Series on a very limited one-off or, in the case of Kenny Reichen, and I think he's done two races at this point, but a very limited basis. I don't think Justin Marks is interested in making that 91 full-time. Oh, by the way, if he did, don't forget the charters right now are running for somewhere between 10 and $20 million, and that's if another team is willing to sell one right there. So either he's running an open team for, to, to field a third car, or he has to buy another charter. Remember, he had to buy out Chip Ganassi Racing just to get the charter he's sitting on right now. So it's, it's not a small expense to, to bring in a third full-time car. So where else could Shane Van Gisbergen potentially go? Basically, every Chevy car is already spoken for. Hendrick Motorsports and Trackhouse, all their, and Richard Childress for that matter, all their full-time rides are pretty well spoken for. Legacy Motor Club is leaving Chevrolet to go to Toyota, so let's talk about Toyota. Joe Gibbs Racing may have some openings. Martin Shorks has already said that he's coming back next year, but he can't. He, maybe he could be talked into changing his mind. Maybe Denny Hamlin goes to take a full-time ownership role at 2311, but he hasn't said anything publicly uh, that that's going to be his plan, and I believe he still is under contract for the 2024 season. So Joe Gibbs Racing is kind of off the table. 2311 is in the same boat the track house is. They have two teams right now plus one part-time car that Travis Pastrana ran at the Daytona 500. Denny Hamlin has said he may consider expanding 2311 to a third team, but now we're back in the same discussion regarding the expense of a charter and setting up another team. I don't know if they want to do that or not. So let's look at Ford. Well, Ford is almost completely full at Team Penske. All those drivers are under long-term contracts, with the exception, I believe, of Harrison Burton uh, at the Wood Brothers number 21. Stuart Haas Racing, they may have an opening with the 10 car, but then again, to Shane Van Gisbergen, a championship-level driver driving some of the best equipment in the Australian Supercar Series and having an expectation of performance, does he really want to get into a car that's running 30th every week? Uh, no offense to Andy, but the 10, the 14, and the 41 are right there with Rick Ware Racing in terms of their performance on most weeks. So would a guy want to go, just to get into the Cup Series, want to go race in the back of the field? I really, really doubt it. So those are some of the obstacles standing in the way of Shane Van Gisbergen coming over to the NASCAR Cup Series. I'm not saying it can't be done, but 
let's kind of let a good thing be a good thing and, and not try and move to the honeymoon location uh, and, and expect the same results here. That's kind of my point on that. Okay. It's always good to get a different point of view. Jay, your second go around here. Well, absolutely, and, and what he needs to do is have a discussion as uh, with Marcus Ambrose when it comes to that. Uh, Mike mentioned several things of moving over here and what the what it entails to run a full 36 uh, race schedule or 32, whatever the Xfinity series runs, if it happens to be in that series. Uh, that was one of the things that I think Marcus Ambrose talked about, and I don't know off the top of my head how long the V8 supercar series uh, runs. I believe it's like 12 races, maybe. Um, so that is something. Second off would be that adjustment to the oval track racing. Um, now, when it comes to that, again, I don't know if Red Bulls would, would bring their sponsorship with him. I don't think he'd necessarily have a problem getting sponsorship. And that means you guys a talented driver as well as money in your pocket that you're bringing with. For any kind of team, I mean, that's going to be a boost. Uh, of, you know, I know Mike was talking about Stuart Haas Racing, and they do have some good sponsorship. They're just a little bit off as it is, but we've seen that be uh, go in cycles. I don't know how to say the word. Sharon uses it all the time. It goes in cycles, so um, I'm not even going to try to uh, say the word. But, you know, I don't think they're that far off from being a three or four car championship contending organization either um so we'll just have to wait and see but uh, that would be my my first thought would be sit down and have a talk with marcus ambrose because he'd be able to tell you exactly what it all entails and then make your decision on if that's what you want and move forward from there okay brian your second go around yeah, I mean, I think you guys came in with a lot of good real talk and a lot of kind of common sense there. We kind of started that first round of like, oh, yeah, this would be the dream. But, yeah, in reality, you're right. Where Where is he going to go? What's he going to, you know, if he's used to a 12-race supercar season versus a very, very grueling 36-race um, Cup Series schedule? And, you know, Mike, I believe it was Mike, anyway, brought up a really good point. Yeah, you're moving, you know, to a completely different country. Um, that's also a huge, huge, huge adjustment as well. So I do kind of agree with it, you know, maybe pump the brakes, but I, I'd love to see him at least in a few more, few more races somehow, somewhere. Um, I think that would be great. Um, even if, even if it isn't in cup, maybe in, you know, trucks or something like that. I mean, what's he doing this weekend? He can hop in a truck at mid Ohio. Um, you know, just, just something different to kind of, you know, give some more excitement around those series and have something different to kind of watch on a week to week basis as well. Yeah, I agree. I don't have a whole lot to add here, so I'm not going to take up the time there. Uh, Mike, we'll let you have the uh, last word. Well, I really hate to – well, I'm not going to say I hate to rain on everyone's parade because I really do take a lot of joy in doing that from time to time. But it, it, it is kind of funny how I, I kind of derailed the whole the whole uh, conversation about, hey, this guy needs to deal with it. Take the first opportunity. Reality has to has to come into to the picture every once in a while. I would love to see Shane Van Gisbergen back. Don't get me wrong. And for absolutely no other reason, I really enjoyed listening to Jeff Burton completely melt down trying to, to pronounce his name. So the more times that I can see Jeff, Jeff Burton's head explode, the, the more entertaining that would be. But, yeah, he's an extremely talented driver. I don't know that he needs to come back for a full-time Cup Series schedule. If that's what he wants to do and he can put something together, great. I look forward to seeing him out there. But I'm with, uh, I'm with Brian. 
find a, more opportunities, whether it's in the Cup Series or the trucks or, or wherever you want to go. But try any car series. I don't know. But, um, you know, get over – if he's interested in doing it, get the opportunities that he can and, and showcase his talent. I don't know that he's going to dominate like he did at Chicago, especially on an oval track, but he's clearly an extremely talented race car driver, and I think he would bring a lot to the Cup Series that we haven't had for a little while, probably since, well, Marcus Ambrose left. So we'll see what happens. I don't expect him to see him on a full-time 2024 ride, but, hey, you never know. Okay, we'll let that be that. And um, we do have another topic here. Well, we got a couple other topics. Um... Jay, do you want to pick a quick topic, a quick one, and we'll just do one go-around? All right. Well, I'm going to go against the popularity of Dale Jr., and we'll skip over him announcing he's running a second race this year in the Xfinity Series. Let's talk about the pit road speed changes for Atlanta. Sharon covered this uh, earlier in the preview show. Changes to the pit road speed, it being split between two different sections. It's 90 miles per hour. If I recall correctly what she said, 90 miles per hour for the first part while you're on the apron, and then 45 miles once you get onto the actual pit road, which is a change from last year, as well as then an additional minute under the damaged vehicle policy um, based off of last year and what they saw under cars losing more time than they needed to. Ryan, you get the first chance here. I mean, I think what I'm most looking forward to is uh, probably Kyle Busch or Denny Hamlin completely melting down on the radio when they violate those new pit road speeds at some point. But I think that's interesting. I don't even know if we've ever seen a part where there's two different pit road speeds like that. I think, um, you know, I, I applaud the, you know, looking to change the rules up to make it a little bit more, you know, competitive or fair. I don't know what the right word is to use there. Also excited to see how that plays out. I honestly didn't hadn't even read or heard that yet, so it was kind of news to me. So I learned something a little new here tonight as well. But I do think um, that that's kind of interesting, you know, obviously kind of the new Atlanta or whatever. I don't know that I'm I'm sold on it. It's all right, but I, I'm curious to see how it plays out this weekend. Yeah, just, just to kind of uh, clarify here, I think they did it, Brian, because a lot of drivers were losing a lap coming into pit road last year, and it was a big issue. So NASCAR is trying to do this in order to prevent drivers from losing their lap when they come into pit road. Mike, your thoughts? Well, I think Ryan would appreciate the, the little pet name that I've got for Atlanta. So we're always talking about the Tanwood International Speedway being the world center of racing. Well, the new Atlanta Motor Speedway is the world center of sports entertainment. So I'm kind of with Brian on, on how I feel about the racing at the new Atlanta. It's entertaining. That's what it is. But as far as a, a purist racing product, ah, I've seen better. With regard to the pit road speed uh, thing, I really do like the change for two reasons, and I highlighted those after the spring Atlanta race. The first one, as we already talked about, is maybe maybe cars pitting under green flags will not lose two laps. Maybe it'll be more like a lap and a half down. It's still a pretty significant loss of speed to uh, to drive around that apron at 90 miles an hour, but it's a lot better than 45 for the whole way around there. And the other piece of it, though, that I highlighted in the spring was safety. My big concern with, uh, with drivers going 45 miles an hour around the apron versus the pack coming by at 170, 180 miles an hour is a huge speed differential between those two sets of cars. So bringing them back up to 90, it's still a pretty big speed differential, but that's 50 miles an hour less of a difference between the, the two groups of cars going by. So in the event of a collision, hopefully it will be a little bit less of a dangerous situation right there. So I do really like that change. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I still think drivers are going to lose at least one lap 
They might be out probably the, the tail end of, the, the, of losing a second lap, but I think it, it's not going to be as much of a guaranteed loss of two laps as it was last year. So I think it is a positive, positive change. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, again, just for clarification purposes here, it says during the green flag pit stop sections, one and two of pit road will be limited to 90 mile per hour while stages, I'm sorry, sections three through 18 will be policed at 45 miles per hour under the caution flag conditions. Uh, pit road speed will be 45 miles per hour for the full distance of pit road, starting with the white commitment line in turn three to the pit road exit in turn one. Uh, so that's under caution flight conditions. So, um, again, I think a lot of drivers going that 45 miles per hour uh, in the early part of the entryway into pit road last year, they lost laps uh, because it's such a long pit road. And NASCAR is doing this in order to help them kind of not lose those laps when they come into pit road. But my question is, uh, sections 1 and 2 are 90 miles per hour, where section 3 through 18 is 45. Are they going to be able to slow down between sections 2 and 3 from 90 miles per hour to uh, 45 miles per hour? That's a huge difference in speed, and I think we might see quite a few penalties uh, for pit road speed. They might be a little bit generous this first time through, but I think that's a big, big difference between 90 miles and and uh, 45 miles per hour uh, between sections two and three. Um, I understand the intention. I think it's a good intention, but I'm really curious to see how this works out. Uh, and I like the idea of giving them the one more minute uh, I guess for the damaged vehicle policy as well, um, you know, it gives them a little more time to work on their car if it's damaged and, and to get back out there and race. So um, we'll see how it plays out. Jay? Well, uh, I don't know if it's mind-blowing, but you guys mentioned it of things we haven't ever seen before, a split pit road. Now, when you talk about what Atlanta's doing with this, I think they are making the smart decision uh, when it, we talked about it, or Mike talked about it as far as safety. Last year they said, okay, with the, new, the speeds they have now, we need to extend pit road so they're not trying to come off the track at 180 down to 45, which, you know, Sharon, that's where they had to do that. So this is at least breaking it into sections where it's a gradual. You're going to have the same thing. You mentioned Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin, or somebody did. Yeah, whoever gets busted, they're going to be frustrated and say they didn't know where the 90 to 45 mark was or whatever, but it's the same for everybody. Now, last year when they implemented this, I understand um, the rule is the same for everybody, so everybody had to go through it. It's a matter of if they get caught trying to pit under green flag and then it goes to a yellow. If you If you're doing that whole section, where they now want you on the apron already in turn three, that 45 miles an hour at that point wasn't really necessary um, because it was it was still in the corner and not onto the actual straight pit road. So I like the fact that they've improved upon it and they said you know they thought it through and they said okay we can get you down to 90 here then you still hit 45 at the normal time. Like I said, it's actually doing it in a gradual sections. Um, Yes, it's the opportunity of then got two sections where you could get popped for speeding. Uh, and I see where that might go or be frustrating for drivers. 
But I do think it is a good thing for a multitude of reasons. Mike mentioned it, the, the speed differential when you're talking about somebody being on the apron in the corner at 45, 45 miles an hour versus 180, you're at least not quite as off if you're doing 90 until you get to the straightaway. So uh, theoretically, on paper, I think this is a good move. We'll see as it goes under application this weekend. Okay. Brian, since you hadn't seen it ahead of time, I'm going to uh, go to you for a follow-up. But we're down to our last three minutes or less, so a quick follow-up. Uh, yeah, but I think I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I think one maybe last thing I have on Atlanta to get everyone's thoughts on is it's another kind of later on Sunday start time. Do you guys like that? Do you not like that? I think for me personally, I kind of like it like that in the summers. You can spend your Sunday outside while it's nice here in the Midwest, you know, doing whatever, and then kind of settle in and watch it similar to almost like a Sunday night football game. I loved how Nashville was that way. Um, great. I think on the flip side, if I was actually at the track, I wouldn't necessarily like that. So, I can see going back and forth. I guess the rationale for doing this at Atlanta and Nashville is typically those are, are pretty hot places in the summer, so they want it to be a little bit cooler for fans. Um, I'm sure also to kind of test out what ratings may be like, but at least the communication there was that, that to keep fans a little bit cooler. So I'm curious to see what you guys think of the, the later start times and if, if you like that, don't like it, or, or kind of neutral. Okay, I'm going to kind of incorporate our roundtable here. Uh, as well. So, Brian, why don't you give uh, folks your handle and let them know what you're up to this weekend. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. So, basically, the best place is Twitter, Eberly 18 I've got a lot of pictures up there kind of from the weekend. I'm going to probably dump some more up there. I just haven't had a chance this week. My my day job is in accounting, and it's quarter and close. We've been working some pretty crazy hours. Um, Luckily, we had the fourth off Um, this weekend. uh, Nothing too much, but I will um, most likely be at the Slinger Nationals in Slinger, Wisconsin um, nice. next Tuesday because I currently only live about 30 minutes from there. Um, so late model race or super late model race. Um, uh, we've got um, Chase Elliott's running it. I believe it's his first time ever running. Um, William Byron's running it. Eric Jones has run it several times. Matt Kenseth is running um, as well as your you know typical um, big um, super late model guys. So a really stout entry list. I think it's going to be a really fun um, Tuesday night event um, next week. Okay. Mike, respond to uh, Brian's question and the roundtable. <laughs> Sign off. Well, sure. It's going to be Mike underscore is L on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I am looking forward to the racing at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the world center of sports entertainment. With regard to the timing change, I think it's a good move. Uh, we saw pretty poor attendance last year for the summer race in Atlanta, and a lot of fingers were pointed at the excessive heat because, again, it was the middle of, the ju- of July. It was extremely hot. So moving it to the, to the evening, I think, is a, a better move, just like when Daytona put those lights in and moved the July race into being an evening race. I grew up sweating to death in the stands in Daytona for that July race when I was a kid. So moving it to the night was an excellent idea, and I think it's the same kind of good idea for Atlanta. Gives me something to do for the day, and then I get to sit down on the couch and watch the race this weekend. So uh, I look forward to seeing it. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And for the weekend, I think I will just be chilling and watching some uh, – some NASCAR racing. I don't necessarily have any plans for this weekend. Uh, the question of Atlanta, uh, you know, you got to see how it works. Uh, obviously, and Sharon will remember this, I talked about Indianapolis when I went to the Brickyard during that summer months. It can get really, 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 really hot. So I think they do got to try something. I know Sunday going into Monday, 
But if you're a fan and want to go to the race, you take Monday off. I mean, or do something, you know, or drive through the night, whatever it takes. So we'll see how the how the feedback comes from it. But I do think it is a good move that being that it was that extremely hot um, for that race. So we'll see how it plays out. Yep, in theory, I think it plays out. Uh, it, it sounds like it's the right thing to do uh, and uh, gives the fans a little bit cooler weather to enjoy the race in, uh, gives more grip to the drivers on the racetrack, and uh, I, I think it's a good move. Uh, the problem is going to be if it rains, and now we've got to go into Monday because there's no wiggle room uh, to work with that race. Uh, although they have lights there, right? They have lights at Atlanta, so I guess there is a little bit of wiggle room, but depending on how long the rain lasts or whatever. But um, I do think that uh, it's a good idea. I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including the website, fanforracing.com. Uh, just a programming note, next Thursday we will also be doing an afternoon um, uh, podcast uh, due to scheduling conflict, so we'll, it'll be exactly the same as it was today. Jay and I will start at 2.30 uh, Central, that's 3.30 Eastern, and we'll have hot topics at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock, um, 4 o'clock um, Central. And uh, we may be going, and I'm going to be talking to some of you individually, we may be looking at doing podcasts on a regular basis on Thursdays just because scheduling has been a little bit of a challenge this year. And uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. We won't do it on air. Uh, but if you want to send me your thoughts on uh, perhaps doing a podcast, we're thinking about doing it around 1030 on uh, Tuesday mornings and then having the hot topics uh, around noon, which would be lunchtime uh, for a lot of folks that might be working. So just a thought. Uh, send me your thoughts, whether it's via on the Teams app or, or via email, and then we'll kind of um, take it from there. But uh, for next Thursday, look for, look for an afternoon podcast again. Um, Thanks, everybody, for being available and uh, doing the show today. We've got a great crew here at Bamper Racing, and you guys always come through. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners, whether you're listening to the podcast or the live broadcast, when we do those, uh, we appreciate each and every one of you, and uh, we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a, a day, guys. And I want to send out a reminder to Brian. Send his race picks in. I I know I got to I got I got well, I'm, I'm last on one of them, right? Because I, I did well last week. I I, I take it. So uh, yeah yeah yes. Um, you uh, have I will to go get last. <laughs> All right. Tough life. <laughs> good night. Good afternoon. <laughs> okay, we'll make that a wrap. Enjoy your race weekend, everybody. All right. Thanks, everybody. This is fun. Have a good one.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.